And with me, as always, the biggest nose in the business. Caffeine rage? Uh, actually, I don't have that big a nose. Yeah, but you're the one that talks I, through it, so I imagine yours is, I a, do. is a lot bigger schnoz than I have. I actually do have a pretty big schnoz. Maybe that's why I'm, I'm so nasally. I've just got such a big nose. Uh, Anyways. So, uh, 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 WC uh, Fields? Uh, send me a link. On today's show, we will, of course, <laughs> be discussing the games that we've played. There has unfortunately been a mass shooting at a Florida Madden tournament. Also, another piece of sad news, a Counter-Strike Go YouTuber was killed while driving 100 miles per hour against traffic. Uh, On a happier news note, video game music is just as good of an introduction to classical music for children as a concert, uh, artists or art chief says. Microsoft announces its Xbox all-access rent-to-own consoles. We'll have our weekly community corner with a text letter and a secret segment submitted to me to spring on rage by one of our listeners. And we'll have our Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. And I swear to God, every time we go to record, there's a fly that comes out of nowhere. (laughs) And he just flew past me while I was saying timestamps will be in the show notes. I don't know where the little bastard went, but if you hear clapping noises, that's me trying to kill this fly. Hello, Rage. How are you today? Uh, a lot more amused now. <laughs> I mean, it happens. It's happened every week for the last three or four weeks. I kill one or two flies during the recording. How dare you murder our uh, studio audience? <laughs> and that's WC oh. Fields, by the way. Okay. I mean... I assume this is... Uh, uh, in Discord. Uh, it's a link to... Oh, man, that is a big nose. <laughs> I don't think my nose is quite that big, but I do have a big nose. Uh, but I think you'd be... appreciate his most popular movie. Oh, I missed him. I think. Yeah, no, there's no smushed fly on my hands. I missed him. Sorry. Saw an opportunity, and I took it. <laughs> and I missed. Bastard. Anyways, how are you, Rach? I'm all right. <laughs> well, that's uh, j- good. Just listening to hear, uh, listening to you go out of your fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, I too am doing well today. I uh, was sick the back half of last week, and we are we postponed recording last night. We haven't said when we were gonna tr- if we were gonna try and make it up, but yeah, we can. Uh, with this weekend we'll being try to figure that out. Yeah, with this weekend being. Labor Day weekend. Uh, I have Monday off from work, so have a. Well, we're also postponing the game club. That's true. We are. Um, We were both bad boys and put it off till well, not quite the last minute, but close. But then I got sick and I couldn't like sit down and focus. Well, the thing is, I was uh, uh, still in a position to be able to finish. Uh, It would have been a bit of a rush. Then the game broke. (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up spending two evenings trying to fix it and eventually having to hack my way out of a DLC and trigger its ending pretty much manually. Yeah. So this is the first time in two years we're postponing a game club by one week. Uh, Skyrim. 
did oh we postponed skyrim yes oh i don't i don't don't yeah i remember i was absolutely hating it and had to go to mods oh okay nope don't remember i mean i do remember that you hate skyrim that's something we've talked about ad nauseum over the years but i don't remember that we postponed it but i like skyrim so it that didn't bother me I mean, Skyrim huh. can be Both made games... uh, palatable, but you know, it requires a ton of mods and a ton of work. So both games we've postponed have been Bethesda games. Hmm. 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 Even though technically this is an Obsidian game. Yes, but published by Bethesda. Also, wasn't it uh, contracted out by Bethesda, so it was Obsidian. Yeah. yeah. So that still counts. It's technically Bethesda. And technically correct is the best form of correct. Usually. Kinda. Technically. Maybe. Anyway, so yeah, I was sick for the last week-ish. So that's actually how the uh, the whole secret segment came about, which I mentioned earlier. Oh, boy. And we will get to that in Community Corner. Uh, so there's a little little tease for later with the old the old secret segment. Or just fast forward. Which I'm quite... I'm, you could just fast forward, but yeah, you I'm have to wait in real time right range. Yep. Anyways, I'm looking forward to talking about that. And we'll see if it turns into something a little more long running. There's potential there potential still not sure how i feel about this (laughs) yeah well i'm not sure how you're gonna feel about it once we get to it either not because it's anything like weird or bad but i don't know well let's see it's not weird or bad so that leaves the other main uh group for you cheesy (laughs) um okay so it is actually weird and a little bad and a little cheesy and a little good but it's not like I'm not like gonna it's show a little you bit, naked uh, uh, rock and roll, a little bit country. Yeah, it's it's a little bit rock and roll hoochie coo. But I'm not gonna be showing you pictures of like dogs fucking or anything like that. So, well, at least you not don't tonight. have to worry. Yeah, not tonight. Maybe maybe next week. Besides, it's airplanes for you. That is very true, and dragons, and. If you want to head on over to our Discord and browse through the Star Wars RPG uh, text chat, scroll up a little ways, you can see all of the weird things that we got into during one of the last sessions. Although, it wasn't weird for me. Some of them were getting weirded out, and I was like, I mean, this is just like a normal (laughs) evening for me, browsing, air quotes, weird things on the internet. I am not shocked by any of those people pictures but many of them were uh, most likely oh yeah there was some definitely some arousal going on you know some amusement but i had to go uh work the lightsaber later clean the blaster yeah, you know what i'm talking about oh hey i just looked uh, over poor there katie's uh, thermal uh, exhaust port though wink uh there's no rpg night this wednesday night which makes me sad i just looked over there Apparently, Cube is going to be traveling. Well, sounds like we figured out uh, spin tires. Yep, yep. We can we could record spin tires tomorrow. I also might wind up having to uh, edit the podcast tomorrow night. Anyways, normally I edit it at work at my downtime on Wednesday, but given that 
uh, one of the other therapists' wife had to go to the hospital. He's probably not going to be there tomorrow. So I might not get any downtime. As far as I know, she's okay, by the way. Do I even want to know? But, uh, um, no, you really don't. Oh, boy. I don't want to know. But it was one of those, like, I was there talking to him when he got the text and then the picture. And then I was like, oh, what's that? And, like, reflexively. And then he showed me, and it was like, oh. Oh. And you were never able to look at ground beef the same way again. Well, no, that's that doesn't bother me. That's fine. <laughs> I I grew up on a farm, dude. I've killed plenty of, I've, I've butchered plenty of animals, so that's fine. You know, we're way more off topic than usual <laughs> at this point. Why don't we Why don't we go talk about games that we played? Right. You've got two. I've got four. Well, actually, I got one. The other one's an oh. interactive movie. Oh. Okay, so yeah, Tacoma alternate is, yeah, a little kicking bit, it off. Or? It kind of blurs the line between video game and interactive movie. And yes, there's the whole, you know, what is a game? And let's not get into that today. Uh, so let's just call it a game for being wrong. But still, Tacoma is an interesting thing. It's, like I said, it's blurring the line between interactive movie and a game where you're on board this ship that's been abandoned and all the gameplay is centered around watching these hollow logs of the crew's days before this major event happened uh, the uh, well it was a space station not a spaceship but whatever right right uh the space station gets hit by debris and you're trying to figure out what happened and you're this uh lady that goes on the ship to figure it out uh this is a game that feels like it should be a vr game based on how they constantly are in the first person perspective and a lot of the game is centered around hand gestures and you do the whole pick up and look at things uh, very closely so you see all the uh, little imperfections in the models you know but it's not a vr game which is just a little puzzling to me uh, especially since the opening sequence, you, uh, you're you signing into the station's uh, essentially guest book, for lack of a better term. And uh, she does the whole, uh, you know, uh, to uh, initiate your user profile, uh, 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 calibrate your uh, hand motions, and you have to touch the, you have to uh, touch the hologram, uh, no, no, not, not where the hologram touched you, but uh, on its hands to be able to monitor, you know, your, uh, how your character moves and a lot of the gameplay actually is uh, controlled via hand signals in what i think is sign language uh, uh, uh just as a uh, simple spelling out sign language i couldn't really determine if it was an actual sign you know actually uh, uh asl or you know a different language of sign language because there are different languages yeah, uh, because you know it's all first person, so you're seeing it reversed from how you usually see cards <laughs> of uh, letters. Uh, but this game, okay, uh, I have one major nitpick, and this is going to be very, very nitpicky. All right, uh, before all I right. really dive into things, this woman has disab- disappearing body syndrome. Every- <laughs> no, 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 no. 
they force you in first person, all right? And right. whenever something happens, you uh, see her uh, raise her hands and uh, you know do her uh, hand signals to be able to interact with the uh, play log uh, and be able to swap around and everything. But then it all disappears. <laughs> her body disappears, her hands disappear. So you're just there with a first-person camera. And once I noticed it, it irritated the fuck out of me. <laughs> it's like, where are your hands? Uh, especially whenever a lot of this is in uh, either low gravity or zero gravity or, or zero G, depending on the portion of the spaceship, uh, space station. I keep saying spaceship, but different things. Uh, depending on the areas you are uh, in, your different gravities. Uh, so it's just a little disorienting. But the reason why I call this an interactive movie and not interactive, or or not a video game, more so, or want to call it that, is just how the story is presented. The game is very short, just a couple hours long. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to complete it because it gives me the usual unity error where uh, after a while there's some sort of memory leak and it locks up my system still haven't figured that one out by the way but each area there's uh, hollow logs that whenever you enter the area you uh, essentially download them to your neural net or whatever and you're able to watch a section of the story but they kind of pad it out in a way that doesn't feel as much padding where the play logs are a fairly large area, usually two or three rooms. And all the members of the crew may be there or they may enter the area later during the playback. So in order to get the full story of what's going on, you have to rewatch it and follow different characters, which is very interesting. For example, one of the first ones I came across was the event where... They were uh, having a obsolescence day, which was where essentially the crew uh, is, is scheduled to cycle off. Yeah, and their uh, mission is deemed obsolete. And that's also the have to be the event you know, when the event happened. But initially, I came in and I followed the station commander and watched her give start to give a log entry. Then she went in uh, to the party and uh, they had a little bit of talking back and forth. Then the event happened and, you know, it kind of froze there because, you know, the station lost power for a time or something. But then you're able to rewind and then follow, uh, uh, let's just call them uh, uh, the doctor and the... Uh, uh, the engineer. I'm not sure if that's the actual two people, but it's a, yeah, pretty much your typical uh, crew where each person has their own designation, own speciality. You know, just like in real life, where you know you have your payload specialist, you have your uh, pilots, and that sort of thing. Well, same thing here. Well, you go back and uh, rewind. And instead of following the commander, I started listening in in the kitchen where they were making the cake for the party. <laughs> and they were talking about uh, the AI essentially dictating everything for this particular party because of tradition. And then, you know, they uh, call in the commander, which you heard or I heard from her point of view the first time. 
uh, to come in for the party. Then go down and uh, there's another uh, member of the crew playing darts and throwing uh, the darts at this uh, person's face on the dartboard. And he's talking to uh, the AI while the other people are talking to the AI as well because, you know, the AI could do two different things at once. And, you know, talking about the nature of uh, the AI's existence and uh, has it ever met another AI and why they haven't allowed different AIs to interact with one another because of the fear of, you know, what may happen. It's a very interesting way to handle the story and it requires a lot of going back and forth and there's also a lot of almost note-taking if you want to take the uh, entire picture of, you know, everything that's going on and all the interrelationships. I was uh, very fascinated by how they were doing it. Granted, uh, graphically, outside of the environment, everybody is essentially shadows uh, and color-coded for your convenience, of course. We're able to pretty easily follow, you know, who's who, but they're outside of just, you know, a picture in the database, uh, essentially their company uh, ID, you never really get a picture for what these people look like. Which is a little disorienting, and I know it's put more than a few people off from the game, or movie, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I did, uh, and it did bug me after a while. But I do understand, you know, uh, it's supposed to be recordings, it's not supposed to be uh, you know, them actually there. So it's kind of reinforcing the whole idea of them, you know, it being echoes of the past, essentially. And it's a lot of uh, environmental exploration. Uh, for example, uh, to access a particular room, you may need to find a, a password or, you know, a passcode. Well, I... A good example of this is in the opening area again, where I was trying to get into the uh, commanding officer's lounge to get more information about you know, what happened there, but it was locked. Well, uh, I didn't think much of it, and I you know, watched the that interaction between the different characters, I think, three or four times to get all the different people uh you know, the person throwing darts and then uh, playing pool uh, before being called to the party. The people sitting around the party, uh, or around the table, putting up decorations. The people in the kitchen, that sort of thing. Well, then I went to the commanding officer's uh, quarters and found a book. And on the in the book, there was a piece of paper. If you turn the book over, there's the passcode. So, kind of... I guess this style would be the proper term for that, would it? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, a lot of uh, exploration to find particular clues to pro uh, to progress Conda. Granted, this game is very short if you know what you're doing, supposedly. Uh, but it's not a, so much about the story, but uh, the atmosphere of it, which I did find very interesting. I'm uh, trying to think of anything else that really kind of uh, drove home what was going on here. There, uh, there was, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, I'm, I don't want to call it quite political intrigue, more like corporate intrigue. Uh, for example, uh, the engineer was complaining about not having uh, as much access as she would like for uh, 
running maintenance and having to trust a lot of it to the AI. So kind of seeing what, where the story's going already, you know? Yeah. Which felt a little bit uh, telegraphed. Uh, it is kind of funny, the bundle that's on in Steam as well. <laughs> or did you see that? No, I didn't, because I already, I, I have uh, I got, Tacoma. Yeah, I got it for, through Twitch Prime, so uh, that's where I actually played it, but I don't actually own it on Steam. But I'm linking to the Steam uh, uh, page, and it's part of the Queer Games Bundle. Okay. Which I, I just found interesting. Granted, some of these are pretty bad-looking games. <laughs> Your Royal Gayness. <laughs> That's I like that. Of course, Your you would. Royal Gayness. Uh, but back to Tacoma. Uh, it, I think the its biggest strength is its atmosphere. It's not creepy. Which, I know that sounds uh, like a backhanded compliment, but empty space station and seeing, you know, essentially everybody just gone and the remnants of daily life can be very unsettling and is often used in horror games. So the fact that they were able to do that, but still, you know, not make it feel creepy uh, is a real plus for this game. You know, it's very yeah. easy to feel unsettled. But maybe that's just because of having all the logs and be able to uh, you know, see the echoes of the past and piece together what was going on. It it took some of the creepiness out of it. And there's a lot of, you know, just little human moments. Uh, one of the uh, people uh, in the gym walking on the treadmill, which Maya ad looks really weird as just the echo of, uh, you know, the echo recording of him walking in place on the treadmill. Because the treadmill wouldn't be running whenever I'm seeing it. It's essentially a, a, an AR uh, overlay w w with the different people. And seeing him just walking there in place, that is a little unsettling. Uh, but, you know, it's... Uh, I think it's meant to be. But, you you know, see him talking to... I think it was his brother? Uh, sending, uh, essentially, a Skype call. And you're able to interact with different things, be able to see, you know, uh, who's, uh, who they're talking to and try to, once again, piece together the puzzle of uh, the story of what happened and also the interaction between them. Uh, it's a, a very character-driven story. I, I was impressed with it. It's just I had the technical issue. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but when I talked about it uh, a few months ago now, I also had technical issues. And, I, I mean, you got a lot farther than I could. Yeah, well, I just uh, have I, I just have the general Unity lockup problem. I, I, it must be a memory leak because if I do what's suggested for uh, the fix of the lockup, uh, you know, just the system lock, it actually happens a lot faster. And the fix for it is supposedly just turning off the multi-threading. So the fact yeah. that turning that off causes me to ha hit it faster tells me some sort of memory leak, right? Yeah, I think so. Turning off multi-threading. Uh, some sort of process? Uh, because it was running a lot slower. I don't know. It's right. just weird. Yeah, turning off multi-threading, by the way, cut me down to like 25 FPS on this game. <laughs> so it wasn't going to be an terrible. option anyway. Yeah. 
But yeah, a lot of atmospheric uh, storytelling, a lot of uh, intrigue, a, a lot of little character humorizing moments. And I think that is probably the biggest strength of this game is its atmosphere and also the fact that it could tell a humanizing story without it feeling repetitive or annoying. Uh, there's a lot of people that were criticizing This Is The Police 2 for... Uh, its dialogue granted that was also an issue of them having you know kojima levels of cutscenes. <laughs> yeah but i felt that you know both games are, felt very natural in their dialogue so i, I think that's uh, i was uh, able to forgive uh, that particular game a little bit more but yeah uh Tacoma, I don't think it's worth the $20 price tag, especially since it's two, three hours. Maybe uh, pushing that, uh, you know, that three hour, three, uh, three and a half hour mark. If you listen to everything and find all the secrets, because there's not that many things to pick up. There's not that many things to look at. And it's is a space station, so yo, it's not exactly a huge space station. But um, um, okay. Are you wanting to swap out or I, alternate, yeah, or do you just want to? Uh, if you want to. Okay. Well, uh, so I played uh, a game called Airheart Tales of Broken Wings. I misspelled this Earhart. is a. Did I misspell it, or did they misspell it? Uh, no, 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 no. You don't get where... Uh... Oh, never mind. You mean Amelia Earhart, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I did have some issues typing earlier, so I was like, oh, did I misspell it? <laughs> like, the title. But Diesel anyways, punk, this, is a, this is a top-down twin-stick shooter um, where you play uh, a a girl who is a mechanic who wants to uh well she's a sky fisherman and she wants to be the one who takes down the great whale that flies by the moon and no i'm not making that up right. and no i'm not taking drugs that's the story that's laid oh, out no, in the you, opening cutscene you take drugs a lot she talks about uh in like the opening cutscene, she talks about how that uh, she used to live on the ground, and her father spent his whole life working so that he could get a better life for his daughter. He taught her how to be a mechanic and a pilot, and then when he died, um, left everything for her to be able to go live in one of the sky cities. Uh, and it's I've played it for a little bit. There is a story here. Um, that revolves around you uh, going out on runs, basically. It does have that sort of roguelike... Yeah, I'm uh, looking uh, at the or game. roguelike thing. Uh, they they call it you... Diesel Punk Airplane Action Roguelike. I'm not sure where the Diesel Punk comes in. I mean, it I just think feels it's, very uh, much... Well, it's essentially an uh, updated version of Steampunk. Yeah. Uh, D- uh, Steampunk is late 1800s. Diesel Punk is early 1900s, but the same general themes. Yeah, this feels very much like, um, I'm drawing a blank on it, but the we did it as a game club, the airplane game. 
original Xbox release. Crimson Skies? Um, Crimson Skies. Yeah, this feels very inspired by Crimson Skies in the art style for a lot of the planes. And, like, you can see some of them in the uh, the trailer or in the screenshots. But there's a uh, quite a few planes. Some I don't know. Like These are more realistic planes, planes that you can get. Crimson Skies has some really wacky planes. Oh, no, they get wackier. And you can see the list whenever you actually load up. There's some wacky wacky stuff in there. Um, just the first few planes are, air quotes, realistic. Oh, never mind. I see one that, well, it's still realistic, but it's, okay, that's getting a little bit more Crimson Skies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the I mean, one with it the, feels maybe. The one with the Sky Train. Yeah, it, it feels maybe a little inspired by Crimson Skies. Which... But anyways, you go out on these runs, um, and the higher you get in the sky, the more difficult the enemies become, but also the more valuable fish there are to farm. Uh, and you farm fish by either shooting them with your tow hook and reeling them into your plane, or by crashing into them uh, without hitting them with your propeller. Because if you hit them with your propeller, they kind of explode. And, and then, then you, you get shoot sushi. Them, they explode. Yeah. <laughs> then there's also, like, loot... Well, I say loot boxes, but not in the sense of, like, the shitty version of loot boxes, but actual boxes of loot that you reel in and can, like, haul back to your base to get rewards for. So, I feel icky, though, that I said that, because it's not (laughs) icky. But, I mean, they're actual, like, big crates and chests of loot that you shoot with your tow hook, and then um, you can only have one at a time, and if you carry it back to your base, like, your run is over, and you have to start a new run. But actually getting one back to the base is, um, it has much higher rewards than you could spend, you know, fishing for a while at that level. And uh, also the higher up you go, the more pirates that there are. There's also police forces. Of course, come floats. But if, like, you can piss off the police, so you have to run back to your base anyways. I mean, it's fairly simple. I've played it a bit and have gotten four levels up. Like, I've been able to get four levels up with my current aircraft. Um, it's got a really weird crafting system that's not fully explained. And there's a lot of experimentation there with unlocking new parts and like upgraded ammo and such. But it, there's no tutorial for the crafting system, so there's a lot of trial and error. Oh, so you tinker with it. You do tinker with it. Um, there's a pretty basic tutorial that teaches you how to play, but otherwise it's just sort of like, yeah, go crazy. And I assume there's more story, but... Um, I haven't found any bosses yet or anything like that. I haven't triggered any additional cutscenes. I've gotten a little bit of dialogue the couple of times that I've like researched something or upgraded. I'm assuming my plane. this was a review copy. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I, I got it from uh, because I see it in my library and I'm trying to remember. Did I buy this or? Yeah, I got I got it from Keymailer about two weeks ago. This is from the same dev that uh, made First Strike Final Hour. Yeah, it's it's a very good-looking game. I like the art style. It's very cute. Uh, the voice acting is decent enough. Um, I mean, it's not great, but compared to most indie games that I've played, uh, it's head and shoulders above those. They actually have a good microphone. It doesn't sound like they're, you know, trying to... T- uh, or recording their lines over an answering machine with a tape recorder or something. Like, it, you know, they actually have a good audio Maybe that's all sound and- like this. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds clear. There, There's some occasional overacting, which is kind of campy, and I like that. But otherwise, it's a cute it's a cute game. Um, it's 15 bucks on Steam. Um, 
if you really like twin stick shooters and you're looking for something new and maybe a little bit different, it might be worth that for you. Personally, it, this is more of like a a Steam sale impulse buy kind of thing, like in the $5 or less range. But I'm not a huge fan of twin stick shooters, so... You know, it, it it's a well put together game. I haven't noticed any bugs or crashes. I don't know how long the game is, but it certainly has its, some replayability. Um, regardless of how long it actually takes to hunt the Sky Whale, uh, there's uh, lots so, of things sorry, in the game to I, I unlock. I went to their uh, DLC for the bonus content, and it shows what the Sky Whale looks like. At least I'm assuming that's the Sky Whale. That is when uh, that looks like Sky Narwhal. I'm going to look at it right now. Uh, I don't know. And where I've gotten so far, I've just seen like a silhouette of the whale. But if it's actually a narwhal, I want to, uh, I'm going to redouble my efforts to catch that son of a bitch. Now, narwhal. Now trying to decide intense hatred or intense love for narwhals. Yes. Reddit culture has sort of ruined narwhals for me. Okay, who fucked the narwhal? <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good game, but it's just not something that I'm super into. But hey, if you like twin-stick shooters and are looking for something that's got some pretty good extended replayability, this might be a game for you. Solid, like, B-minus game. Solid B-minus. Maybe even a, a B from me. Well, considering your love of uh, sort of crappy games, that's actually not high praise. <laughs> I mean, it's not a crappy game. It's just not something that I'm super into. It's actually a pretty good game. But, I mean, it's not, like, amazing or anything. Its gameplay is somewhat repetitive. I don't... I mean, but, I mean, I don't particularly go for roguelites. Roguelike. Roguelite. I would call this more roguelite. Or, you know, I'm not a big fan of twin-stick shooters. And you're not a big fan of fishing. It's good-looking. It runs well. You know, I'm not a big fan of fishing. But, I mean, it looks good. It runs well. Um, the gameplay is is serviceable. No major problems or flaws or issues that I've been able to detect so far. So, you know, if it's something that you're more into, it'd be a good game for you. It's just not something that I'm all that into. I may be a little bit sad that they didn't really go more hardcore on the camp factor of it or the silliness of the premise. Uh, but otherwise, you know, that would just earn it some bonus points for cheesiness. It's still a solid game. So yeah, what uh, what's your other game? Oh uh, well, my other game is another game that could be a little bit repetitive. Starhammer: The Vanguard Prophecy. This is a game I actually got interested in. Uh, I picked this up during the last Steam Winter Sale, or or, Me or, the, too. or the summer sale. I can't remember which now. It was a recent sale. We'll go with that. Uh, uh kind of backwards from probably how they intended because I was interested in uh, I don't think it was Battlestar Galactica Deadlock but the first Battlestar Galactica game uh, they, they did uh, but because it's a licensed game it's a bit of a premium and I wasn't sure how I'd feel about it so I decided to try out the previous game because it goes on sale dirt cheap <laughs> I think this was what, sub five bucks? Something like that. And it has a bit of a different premise than you may expect from a 
essentially what this is is a star battle fl- uh, fleet simulator. But this isn't real time, and it's not the traditional turn-based where one uh, side turns uh, or goes or the other. It's simultaneous turns, and it feels like a chess match in in a good way. I might add, not yeah, the boring. Oh, here comes the usual opening. It's, and I could definitely see why they were able to license it uh, for Battlestar Galactica because even the original concept and the original game, it feels like Battlestar Galactica's uh, ship battles. Yeah, you know, very slow lumbering uh, ships, along with some very fast fighters. Only instead of fighting toasters, they're fighting lionfish for some reason. <laughs> I'm not joking. Okay. Uh, the aliens in this, uh, some of the big ones look like giant lionfish. <laughs> and they're all nice. uh, uh, biotic. You know, they're all living uh, ships, essentially. So that's a little weird. I have to say, I absolutely love the ship design in this game. It's chunky. It's uh, cl- uh, cumbersome. It looks like spaceships that are just kind of sort of thrown together without a real care of aesthetics because this is military uh, tech, you know? Yeah. And what can I say? I like a bit of a chunky spaceship, you know? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I like my Star Trek, but overall, I do think Star Wars has a better ship aesthetic for the most part. And this feels sort of like that, where it feels like a more used-up universe, you know, a more drown and gritty and dirty uh, universe and it the, the ship design reflects that i didn't get too much into the story i'm mostly toying around with the skirmish mode trying to figure out if i want to do a series on this and i'm not sure on that yet because the game has a very very limited selection of ships and i'm a little concerned about repetitiveness especially since battles especially bigger ones can take a while my first skirmish that I did, I went in and just hit surprise me, which just generates a pretty much a random, you know, thrown together skirmish. Took me over an yeah. hour to beat. And it was... That's a pretty good amount of time yeah, it, for... It, and, it was, and it was a pretty big battle. It was uh, pretty much maxed on on both sides. And like a, uh, my analogy to chess uh, applies here where it's slow. Uh, it's methodical. You, If you try to rush it, you will screw up, and it will cost you. There is friendly fire in this game. You have to watch fire angles, especially if you're launching missiles, which essentially is, you know, Battlestar Galactica nukes. Because if the flight paths are intersect with a uh, friendly ship, it will detonate on that ship, and it will fuck it up. Uh... There's energy balancing, trying to uh, get a, a good combination of, of shields uh, for defense, weapons for offense, and uh, engine power for mobility. Increasing one uh, decreases all the others. You have a limited amount of power. But also, which is a little bit irritating, if your shields aren't powered enough, you don't get any shield re- uh, uh, regeneration at all. And shield regeneration is pretty sluggish already. Uh, essentially, if you are if you don't dedicate at least 40% power, 
uh, two shields, they don't regenerate. You still have shields, but they don't generate. So, you know, it feels a little bit of a wrong move to have less than 40% unless you're going like full uh, weapons or full, uh, 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 full engines. Uh, uh, there's directional fire, you know, you're pretty much typical, uh, uh, spaceship stuff. Uh, something that is a little interesting is uh, this looks like just looking at the screenshots would be flat space, you know, 2d plane, but it's not, it's like an onion. It has layers. Your ships are able to uh, go up and down on the different layers and are able to pass over one another because of that, which also gives your ships six directional shields instead of four, uh, because you also have the essentially a top shield, the, the uh, you know, essentially the top dome and the bottom dome, and the dorsal and ventral sections. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Jordy. Uh, Carry on. But you're also able to borrow shields from those. At least as far as I went in the campaign and in skirmish mode, the enemy doesn't seem to try to flank you uh, on uh, the 3D plane. So unless you purposely lower or raise yourself, you're essentially able to sink uh, shield uh, power and uh, uh, redirect the shields uh, from that... uh, uh, particular section that you've essentially blocked off because you uh, dove down or rose above the enemy uh, to funnel into other shields, which feels uh, you know, a little like a missed opportunity. Also, it doesn't seem like there's any ship customization. There is crew customization, which allows for bonuses on your uh, flagship of your fleet. But all the ships are pretty much just stock. And you're also able to requisition new ships uh, during the campaign, and they usually take a you know a pad of mission or two to complete. And also, they have this weird war score thing going on, which feels odd. It scores you on your battles based on how aggressive or how defensive you are, and it's very, very, very easy to be considered aggressive because you shot at enemies. Essentially, aggressive moves are, you know, powering up your weapons above a certain threshold, uh, using missiles, which missiles, it, uh, they don't really ignore, but, uh, you know, they're, they're essentially fired out of the top of the ship and are able to travel long distances. They don't ignore uh, arcs of fire, but they're their own arc of fire. Uh, using missiles are, a, you know, a, a seems to be a big uh, spike in aggressiveness. And they talk about how that particular war score will influence what campaign chapters you unlock and what uh, how different uh, uh, factions perceive you. Which is interesting, but it feels like a little bit of uh, a system that's out of place because, of course, you want to be aggressive a lot of times, and particularly in the early, early game, whenever you're not facing a lot of ships, you're just facing a handful. Uh, it feels like they're trying to force a particular play styles. It's a band-aid over trying to uh, prevent people from min-maxing. Which doesn't feel right in a strategy game, particularly a very slow-paced, methodical one like this. It's sort of like how uh, XCOM they wanted you to rush and uh, always talked about how 
XCOM is at its best when people take risks. Um, it's a strategy game. Uh, did you guys miss the memo on that? Right? Yeah. I mean, in a good strategy game, risks can pay off, but forcing people to take risks is not good. Yeah, forcing it, and uh, XCOM already has its own inherent risks. So forcing more risks, uh, it's the same kind of here. Uh, granted, it's more you know, prolonging the fight. I'm not sure if prolonging the fight too long uh, will cause other issues later on. Because I only did a handful of the campaign missions and then started diving into the skirmish to see what all's there. And from what I could tell, after uh, you know, the big encounter where you uh, beat the lionfish for the first time, and start really going after the aliens. Uh, it's just essentially two factions, and they only have, uh, I would say, less than ten ships each. So yeah, that's where my concern about uh, repairness starts to come in. Granted, you know, you can have different uh, things going on. Uh, if you have an escort mission, that uh, thankfully you actually control where the escort goes. So that's nice. Yeah, that is very nice. Granted, the escort, also you don't have command over its energy. So it's not regenerating its shields, but you're also usually able to do you know, uh, change facing, essentially. So if your uh, shields are starting to go down on uh, uh, the port side, you could uh, slowly have it turn around so it's uh, having starboard facing. See, I can do ship uh, directions too. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But it's it just feels uh, like a bit of a band-aid, that a particular mechanic. And I would have loved to see an actual customization. Be able to uh, requisition ships opens up the possibility for it already. But unless it's late in the campaign, or I should say later in the campaign, I should say, uh, it just doesn't seem to be there at all. But overall, I do like the game. Uh, no voice acting whatsoever in it. it. I guess in the future, everybody talks via text message. Because it looks suspiciously like my text <laughs> app. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going back and forth. Yeah. I mean, that, may, that makes sense. That's where language is heading. No vocal communication. All text. God, I hope I'm so wrong about that. <laughs> Yeah, because we definitely have faces for radio. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've I also purchased this during the Steam sale. I've been meaning to play it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. But you talking about it makes me want to go play it even more. So. Yeah, I will say that it does have a tutorial, but it doesn't cover as much as it really should. Particularly, I, I had to find the button for uh, weapon uh, firing arcs myself. I'm not sure if I just you know clicked over that because. It's not a, vo a vocal tutorial at all. It, you know, it's just one of those, okay, this is the command bar. This uh, this button does this. This button does this. This button does this. And it's not very engaging. Gotcha. So I may have just skipped over it. Uh, but, yeah, th there's only, I think, three ships that have special abilities. Or I should say three special abilities uh, for the ships. Uh, the larger, essentially, capital ships, I think it's Dreadnoughts in this game, are able to launch uh, fighter drones. It, uh, yeah, basically, it, let's just call them Battlestars. Sure. 
uh, because they're they're it. big lumbering. They have a lot of firepower. Uh, they're able to launch missiles as well, but they have fighter wings, and the fighter wings are essentially remotely controlled. And if the batteries die on them, uh, you lose them. If they get shot down, you lose them. And you usually ha- only have two or three fighter wings. Uh, you have the missiles, like I said, which are you know big uh, hits. They're AOE damage. Uh, pretty much everything else is you know di- directional fire and single target. So you know that's a big thing having uh, splash damage. But you're limited uh, on firing, and they have friendly fire. And then you have countermeasures, which uh, launches a countermeasure, uh, uh, essentially EMP device that will disrupt uh, enemy uh, projectiles. And if there's an enemy missile, it'll shoot it down, but it's a one-time thing. And that's really all the special abilities you have for your entire faction. (laughs) It feels very kind of bare bones and... I'm not sure if it's worth the 20 bucks unless you're really, really, really wanting to essentially space chess. Yeah, it was only a couple of bucks. You said this earlier, but it was only a yeah, couple yeah, of bucks. Yeah, I can't remember exactly sale, how much so. it was, and I don't want to go digging. Yeah, it was 2 or $3. Yeah, it's I definitely think. worth that. So I, I'm just looking at the reviews. Yeah, it looks like there's no customization whatsoever, which feels like such a missed opportunity, particularly. Uh, where you could requisition the ships, you know? Yeah. I love me some good ship customization, too. So that, excuse yeah, me, so I, that makes I, me a little bit sad. Yeah, I was just, I was uh, looking at the reviews to see if anybody mentioned customization. No. Uh, but yeah, I do think it's worth the couple of bucks. It's worth the, yeah, the impulse boss uh, sale price. And there's not many games like this. There's uh, the Battlestar Galactica, and there's also the one set in the Warhammer 40k universe, which are this uh, sort of uh, yeah, turn-based uh, battles, uh, simultaneous turn-based battles. And that's really it that I could think of off the top of my head. There is Flotilla as well, but that's a little bit more freeform, and it's also more on the roguelite uh, side of things, where it's a very unlimited time. Uh, you only have Essentially, in Flotilla, you're uh, you're dying, and you're going on essentially one last campaign, one last great adventure. Yeah. I will say that uh, Flotilla 2 is coming out, and Jim may be interested in this one because it's VR. There's a couple of World War II naval games that are like this. I own them, but God, it's been forever since I've played them, so I'd have to go... Is it Battlefleet, maybe? But this was like a genre that could be expanded very easily. Yeah, Battlefleet 2. I assume there's an original Battlefleet, but I don't oh, know. Oh, Battlefleet. Uh, maybe it has this. Uh, I wonder if it's the same people, because the uh, the Warhammer game is uh, uh, Battlefleet Gothic uh, Armada. <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah, Battlefleet 2, and no, there's it doesn't other look one as like well. It. Well, it does look like they've done uh, the same thing where they started with one particular uh, game and just started branching out. It looks like there's also another uh, Warhammer uh, Battlefleet Gothic uh, Armada 2 coming out uh, in, uh, actually next month. Not sure if it's going to be worth a $40 game, but eh, it's there. Yeah. But yeah, Battlefleet 2 does this. It's World War II naval combat. Um it's got simultaneous turns, and you maneuver your ships the same sort of way, and give them more 
general targeting orders for the most part. Yeah, you are able to give um, some targeting orders, and you're also able to, if you want to really get into the nitty gritty, even though it's very tedious, because once you start building up a, a decent sized fleet, uh, you're doing turn by turn orders. You're not giving a grand plan, you know. So yeah, uh, for things like the dreadnoughts, which are exceptionally slow. You have to tell them essentially, okay, now you move two inches forward. Now you move two more inches forward. Now start turning to the right. Yeah. Uh, so there is that tedium there. But if you really wanted to focus fire, and I imagine that probably on some of the harder battles, you're definitely going to have to. You can set individual weapons for uh, individual, uh, you know, Okay, this one wants to go for the weakest enemies. This one wants to go for the closest enemies. Uh, but also where you're going turn by turn, it's sometimes hard, uh, particularly for fighters, which are uh, forward-facing weapons only, and they're also very fast. I should say, well, I shouldn't say fighters because it's a step up from fighters because those are the drone uh, from the uh, dreadnoughts. Uh but essentially a heavy fighter or you know whatever they actually call it in game it could be a little bit cumbersome trying to track another fighter because enemies move so quickly and there's no indication on their range so it's a little bit of guesstimate and a little bit of just you know, experience and okay this particular enemy type is able to move this far they're moving in this direction so that means they have they'll have this arc I would have liked to seen. I mean, you don't have to tell me where they're going, but at least give me a general idea of, you know, their movement arcs or their the possible movement arcs, or even better, uh, their uh, possible movement arcs and their possible weapon fire arcs, because the enemy knows this, and in my skirmish that took an hour, uh, there was a couple of the fish that was just sitting right in between two of my firing arcs on my dreadnought and just hammering it and the dreadnought just couldn't turn fast enough to be able to uh, try to get it get them into an arc so you know that's info that the ai has but i don't which is irritating and part of the reason why you know i'm kind of you know, not sure i want to do something on this or not uh but any questions i don't think so i mean i want to go play it uh, you do you start yeah, to build up some very, very big uh, fleets. Uh, I like big fleets. And you cannot lie. Uh, I would, Other captains can't deny. Well, it's based on command points, and you know, different uh, ships naturally have uh, you know, bigger ships, more command points are used up. But I think in my skirmish, I was running 10 or 12 ships, which also adds a little bit to the tedium. Uh, particularly, there's no ship grouping which would have been nice uh, especially you know have a wing of heavy fighters or be able to move the dreadnoughts in formation if you have two that sort of thing yeah but it's more quality of life at that point really okay yeah I uh definitely well maybe not this week because I do need to play a lot of fallout yeah you but... have more of the fallout to go through than I do don't you Yep, and I'm also having problems with the game being broken. 
So, well, I think it was uh, one of my mods calls to issue later down the line. So, but that's a, a discussion for next week. For next week, indeed. So, my second game uh, is For Honor. For Honor was free on Steam for a little bit last week. And it was on free uh, on the, Uplay, the starter uh, edition. Uh, uh, quite a few, uh, quite a while ago. Yeah, the uh, the starter edition was free. Which I was just thinking that it was going to be like the same sort of starter edition that they did with um, Rainbow Six Siege, yeah. Which was just like a, a couple of multiplayer characters, and then you could start, you know, unlocking things as you went or spend more money on microtransactions and yeah, characters. I've heard a lot of people say, but it's actually well, sorry. I was just going to say I've heard a lot of people say that Rainbow Six Siege uh, starter pack is essentially a ripoff. Uh, it's just yeah. way too much of a ground wall. Yeah, but I was expecting that, but it's actually the starter pack is the the game. It's the base game. It includes the single player mode, all of the multiplayer stuff that you get by default, like none of the extra characters or DLC or skins or any of that shit, but it's basically the entire original base game, which all I cared about at the time was the single player like the multiplayer was okay but there were huge problems with the beta that they supposedly have worked out some of them but there's still a shitload of problems in this game with the multiplayer side but i was like ah, it's free it's got trading cards in it and maybe the single player will be there and it is so yay i got four honor for free the only part i care about is the single player which also has co-op which i mentioned to you earlier yeah, which is um, you can play all of the you can play all of the single player missions with up to four of your friend or with up to three of your friends. So all, all the missions are full four player co-op. Um, I haven't played it too much. I played through, yeah, I watched well, the intro cinematic to the campaign and played through the first mission. And then I had to go and I haven't played it since, but I mean, it's, it's for honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about it a few times on the show so there's nothing new to report uh, well there is one thing uh have you ever looked at the player numbers no well are they back up well let's put it this way uh just before it went free to play or free to keep uh let's just call it free to keep instead of free to play free to keep on steam uh now grant this is steam numbers and this is also a, a ubisoft game so it has you you play numbers as well which we can't see it had uh, let's see uh uh, I would say upper 3,000s, lower 4,000s on average. So not completely dead, but a pretty small pretty small community. At peak, uh, on August 23rd, which is when it went free to keep, it hit a peak of 216,000. Oh, that's its all-time peak. Yeah. According to this, I mean, hey, if you want to revive the, your game, give it away for free. You'll pick up some community there. And even afterwards, uh, they're uh, still in the 20, upper 20,000s. Yeah, according to this, with, there's 27,540 people playing right with now. With a 24 hour peak of 53,000. Yeah. I mean, damn. <laughs> Um, yeah, I doubt I'm going to get into the multiplayer, but I did want to play through the single player. Um, so I'm I'm going to play through that. I, it's 
a fun uh, is game. Is the co-op uh, just a single player, or is it it's a, is it own thing? Um, I don't know actually. I just I think it's the single player like campaign. I don't think it's separated out. That's something we could do together. Yeah, yeah. I got it running. I, I mean, really well. It started out on no, I'll uh, just have to go test Ultra. It. Yeah, it started out on my system like recommending Ultra settings, and it was running at a pretty. A pretty consistent 60, little dips here and there. I bumped the, the graphics down to high, and uh, it's staying at around 90 for me. So it runs well. It still looks gorgeous with the settings on yeah, high. Yeah, but it's not as shiny. Nah, fuck that. <laughs> well, um, if you want to fuck it, go ahead. But yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. Whenever I finish the campaign, I suppose I'll report back on the story. I heard that it was lackluster at best, but... I mean, it's that's okay, especially since I got the game for free. I also might do some of the, like the one-on-one or the two v two online mode. That's about all I'd really do. I mean, it's essentially the, like, it's a fighting game at that point, isn't it? Yeah, basically, because nothing matters at that point. It's the mode that's like four v four. Is the, that the one that has the all sort the of MOBA esque mode? Yeah, the MOBA esque mode is the one where all the gear actually has stats, which is stupid. In any of the yeah, in the dueling mode, it's all just cosmetic. So, yeah, I'm I might play that uh, mode a little they, bit. But uh, did they do the expansions like they did on Siege, where uh, you can grind them out if you really, really wanted to? Uh, to my knowledge, yes, huh. but I'm not a hundred percent on that because you could grind out all of the cosmetic gear anyways. But of course, it was faster to just buy. Well, you don't have several hundred hours to be able to dedicate to unlocking cosmetics? Mm, no. Uh, it does look like it is, uh, based on the marketing blurb for the expansion. Uh, they say, uh, well, pre-order now for, uh, well, this is the uh, pack. Uh, the elite pack uh, for all Wunli heroes instantly, valued at 28,000 steel. So that sounds like the in-game currency to me. Yeah, steel is the in-game currency. Hey, but, what a steal. Well, that's... Nah. hey So yeah, that's that's for honor. Uh, that's game two of four for me. Uh, next on my list is some more Monster Hunter World. Uh, just diving into that system some more and learning some of the nuances of some of the weapon groups that I hadn't spent much time with. And also just continuing to explore the world and the nooks and crannies. Um, the game does some inter- interesting stuff to reveal itself to you in new ways, uh, evolving as you play through. Um, it does a really good job of continuing to open up those really large handcrafted levels and showing you secret hidden areas or giving you new equipment to explore with. I know that's like a staple of of RPGs and things, but one of the biggest issues that I think has happened in modern gaming, uh, particularly with like Ubisoft-style open-world games uh, and with procedural generation in general, that element of discovery is greatly diminished when everything is just like, climb a tower and see all the stuff, or this level was procedurally or randomly generated, so we don't know what's here. You might get lucky or you might not. And these worlds are gorgeous and there's so much stuff to find. Um, 
and getting new equipment and being able to explore them in different ways and take different paths and use that to change up how you hunt monsters to get um, more materials from them or more quickly or just discovering new and interesting things. So I think I mentioned when I talked about it last time, like being able to mount a monster and like stab it repeatedly in a weak spot or something. Yeah, going different uh, 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 Shadow of the Colossus on it. Yeah, well, there's certain weapons that have special additional things that they can do as part of that. For example, there's one weapon that's sort of become my new favorite. It's called the Switch Axe, and it changes back and forth between a giant battle axe and a giant greatsword, both of which are much larger than your character. And here I was hoping that was going to be a giant switchblade. No. No, not this time. Uh, But, But, uh, um, yeah, uh, then everybody's saying, well, your uh, character's just a pumpkin. It turns out it's just a giant comb. (laughs) That would would actually be amazing. But, um, But anyways, so the weapon has got two completely different attack styles. The axe is very slow. The sword is very fast. And when you attack with the axe, you charge up the weapon's elemental power, which you can change based on... Uh, stuff that you upgrade it with or craft into it, like gems and things. Um, so the axe builds up the elemental power, and then you can switch to the sword and discharge the elemental power and varying degrees of explosion uh, and other special attacks. And uh, when you're uh, riding a monster, stabbing it repeatedly in a body part, if you're able to stay on the monster long enough, because the monsters try and throw you off. They'll bash into walls or try and grab you off the claws or whatever, and you have to sort of jump around or brace yourself so you don't get knocked off. Although if you do get knocked off, if you're fast enough and you have good aim, you can use your grappling hook to grab back onto the monster (laughs) and pull yourself back onto its back. But anyways, if you're able to continue to attack one area long enough with the switch axe, you'll pull it out um, and discharge all of the elemental power in like this crazy explosion. Like you stab it inside the monster and whatever body part you're attacking and just go ham on that Y button to to discharge all of that elemental power. And if you're able to discharge all of the elemental power in one go, you will sever that body part. Which, obviously, either com- kills the monster outright if you, like, sever its head or something, or will greatly diminish its attack power. For example, there's a lot of monsters that have uh, stuff on their tails, either barbs, spikes, or sort of very hardened ends, like to use like a club there's some of them that have like poison that they can shoot out of their tail and you do that attack on the tail and get it all the way done and you'll sever the tail and you can harvest additional resources from that and also then it can't use that attack anymore and then it uses that as a decoy to uh, slither away well you know i've been tracking the monster for 20 minutes at that point i've got all the stuff i can just follow it pretty easily you have these little tracking Fireflies. Uh, like firefly things. Yeah. Okay. I mentioned those last time, but just, you know, the, the game, the game has a, a pretty, it's easy to get into. It's easy to learn the basics, but when you start pouring more and more time into the various weapons and, um, exploring and learning how to use different equipment, boy, does it, does it get interesting? And I love games that reward that both the sense of exploration and, and that have um, uh, that really reward dedication to your skills, uh, learning new skills. And I've 
I don't think I've mastered any single weapon yet, but I've got a pretty good understanding of three or four weapon types. Uh, and so depending on what sort of monster I'm being tasked with hunting, I'll pick a more appropriate weapon type and go get them. It's very rewarding. Someone, someone in our community or several people need to get this game and then we can all go on hunting parties together and we can hunt some of the really big creatures. Well, I need to upgrade my computer first. Yeah. Maybe at Christmas time I'll, uh, I think I said this last time too, maybe at Christmas time I'll get a couple of copies, especially if it goes on any sort of discount during the Steam sale. I mean, I don't expect to get super cheap, but maybe even like 25 or 30% off buy a, a couple of copies for people. Anyone who's interested in playing Monster Hunter World, please let me know. But uh, yeah, so that's Monster Hunter World. That's about all I had to say about it. The thing that I spent playing the most this weekend, though, was Spin Tires Mud Runner. And, um, but you weren't playing played... with me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I sat on my couch in my office and I just streamed it from my my desktop to my media PC and played it on my TV so I could cover up with my blankie. And, uh, yeah, you had the sick. I downloaded, I downloaded something like another dozen maps and then around two dozen uh, different vehicles. Got some good, some bad, some weird. And I just played a lot and explored the, uh, the modding community. Yeah, it has a very interesting modding community, doesn't it? It feels like it's broken into really two parts where, uh, there's the wacky, um, you know, just goofy shit. And then there's people that try yeah. to go really realistic. Some of them keep up with the theme of the game, some not. Yeah, I added a number of vehicles that weren't like big trucks. I, I've we talked about this in one of our recordings that we did. Um, things that we'd like to see in the next yeah because they iteration of the yeah, game because they announced the sequel. There's going to be more details next year. Yeah, and I, and one of the things, a couple of things that I said that I wanted was more variety. On the low end, the one-star and the two-star level trucks, and then more variety of vehicles in general, like tracked vehicles, um, more like tractors and things like that. So I focused a lot of my, my mod downloads for vehicles on those things, like looking for vehicles that were you know rated at one or two stars in the game. And then I tried out some different tracked vehicles, although I have an issue... With some of those mods working, you have to go in and actually edit some of the files. I haven't done that yet. Yeah, I don't want to go because the actual that tracks. Crazy, huh? Not right now, anyways. the The tracks don't uh, show up, like they don't. The textures don't appear, so they don't drive properly, and most of them don't steer. And like they they say, like if you go read down, it's like, hey, if you don't go edit these files, then these aren't going to work. And you're like, eh, I haven't got that far yet. I was sick this weekend. But there's, yeah, there's a really vibrant modding community for this game. And that's just what's um, on the workshop. There's more beyond that. Yeah, but I, I just started with a workshop because it's easy. You know, just click subscribe and then it adds it and it works. Um, a couple of my favorites. There's like a little vehicle that's themed as a, a drone. Uh, it's a one-star vehicle. It can carry like a small amount of fuel, uh, like one garage point or a small amount of repair points, but it's battery powered. Hmm. So you don't have to fuel it up. Um, like the only way to fuel it up is to drive back to the garage 
but it doesn't have any weight from fuel. So it's got a lot of low-end torque as well because most electric motors have a ton of torque, yeah. but not a lot of high-end power. So, so really it's good actually for mud. really, yeah, really good for mud in, in a game about mudding. So that's pretty cool. I uh, downloaded a couple of different versions of Jeeps. Yeah, there's one. Some, I can't remember what the name of it is, and I'm not sure if it's updated for the last DLC or or what's called DLC nowadays. It used to be just called Patches. Uh, it was an inloader uh, that basically was just the loading cr- uh, crane with a little bit of modification so it you know, actually looks like its own little vehicle. Uh, but yeah. the downside of it that was that it didn't go well on mud, so it either had to be towed, or you had to be very careful, or it could only be used, you know, in loading areas that are near garages. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else did I get that was pretty cool. I got a tractor, a four wheel, an actual four wheel drive tractor. It's a two star rated vehicle. Mm-hmm. Incredibly useful, slow, but incredibly useful. Um, it's got a a log either a front-end loader for logs or a, a sort of crane loader uh, that's hooked up to the back. You can put a dozer blade on it, and it can push rocks and debris and stuff around, and you can clear out paths um, and help get push trucks out of places that are stuck. Now, that's nifty. Uh, I downloaded the Warthog from Halo. That thing is... Yeah, the Puma. That thing is ridiculously broken, but in a fun way. It can drive ridiculously fast. It's got like 30,000 health uh, because it drives so fast that over anything that isn't pretty much flat ground, it takes damage. (laughs) So it's got a lot of health to soak that up. Um, And it's hilarious to hook trailers up to it because it breaks the physics on the trailers because they're not, nothing's designed to go that fast in the game. So they like fly all over the place. And uh, it's got authentic Warthog flipping action. So when it flips over um, and the engine stalls, whenever you start the engine, like it flips over like how the Master Chief flips it in Halo. So it's almost impossible to get it stuck. Oh, you're going if you really crash robotic. It, well, my thing turned red. But uh, yeah, even if you crash it, it'll just flip right back over. You have to sort of wedge it between trees or something. In order for it to get completely killed. Yeah, I'm so. trying to find what the loader is because that'd be fun. But I'm not finding it immediately. I found I found uh tractors that one has the ability to put an inloader on it, so Yeah, probably though my favorite is like a cute little Volkswagen something or other. Uh like a very tiny Volkswagen van it's just a cute it's cute it comes in like cute colors like teal and purple it's actually pretty good for exploring it's useless for anything else it can actually carry like a small trailer for garage parts and a tiny amount of fuel and repair points Mm -hmm. but i mean it's basically useless for anything except exploring but it's so tiny it can go anywhere between any trees so it's cute it's fun Makes me happy. I haven't toyed around much with the cars, but you know, there, you know, there's armored personnel carriers, there's uh, Hummers, uh, 
Oh, oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Uh, go on, are, are you on the workshop? Um, I can be. One Unfortunately, second. the entire thing is in Russian, but I'm going to subscribe to that. All it's right. the EO3323. EO. Oh, yeah, I have that already. I'm I'm subscribed to that. That thing is extremely slow. Yeah. Like I but said, it, it is an excellent loader. Because, you know, it has the 360 t- uh, rotation on it, and it, which is kind of a downside if you're trying to drive it after loading something, because you have to be careful about that. Yeah. But yeah, th- I think I'll be in the next uh, uh, map. <laughs> Agreed? Yeah, we can use that. Um, I've played around with it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I just have messed around with a bunch of mod stuff. And uh, letting your son wreck cars? Yeah, I let him play for a little bit yesterday. Uh, I actually let him drive. Normally, he just, like, operates the headlights and the horn and um, tells me what to do. But last night, he was like, I want to drive. I want to drive, Daddy. I was like, okay. So I picked uh, Road Trip, which has the most... I think the most uh, points available for mm-hmm. like vehicle points so that he could basically pick whatever he wanted. And uh, he picked five different, five oh, different trucks. That's just a map form. Uh, sure. I'm going to have to just send you the link because this is in probably Russian. I mean, it's acrylic letters. So, yeah, my choices of uh, languages is very limited on what it could be, right? Yeah. Uh, it is this. It's listed as a test map. Okay. Pulling it up right now. Oh, hey! That's easy. Cute looking. But yeah, within like 15 minutes, my son had crashed all five trucks. To be fair, road the... trip isn't a joke. No, road trip is no joke. Yeah, poor that kid. That map is messed up. In a good way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so those are all the games I played this week. And that went for a long time. Yes, yes, it did. We're an hour 20. We are. I need to very quickly take a break. I'm out of cough drops. My throat's a little, a little scratchy. All right. So, before we get on to some deep news topics, I'm going to go grab a handful of cough drops. Yeah. I'll be right back. Let's go talk about this weekend's uh, sad news topics. The first one, mass shooting at a Florida Madden tournament. <sighs> so. I was not looking forward to talking about this. But no, it feels remiss here, here if we, we go don't. Again. Yeah. Yeah, we can't uh, bury our head in the sand for things like this. We have to confront it, deal with it, and do our best to move on. What we're not just um, going to say it's a bunch of crisis actors. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. So, oh man, I'm so tempted to go talk briefly. Um, so did you see where that uh, Alex Jones was seen to be viewing trans? Oh yeah, I've heard about that. His I found it hilarious, uh, but yeah, honestly, not unsurprising. Just because th- there's a there's a spell curve. Once you're against something for so much. I start to suspect that they're in the closet for that particular thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is there is some actual research that backs that up. People who are 
homophobic not always, or transphobic. But the the more someone is vehemently like hates something or is against something, the more they obsess over it to the point where it oftentimes becomes a, a closeted fetish. Um, that's a, a real life phenomenon that has repeated itself over and over again. Um, so it, so. would that be bad PC ports for me? <laughs> you have a closeted fet. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You have a closeted fetish for bad. PC oh yeah, ports. that low FPS. Oh, that clumsy you. Oh. But see, then you feel dirty afterwards because you're ashamed for liking things like that. But yeah, that's a that's an observable real world phenomenon that has played out a number of times, particularly in recent years where it's much easier for people to access those sorts of things. Than and it's very easy they... to leak uh, info. Because yeah. for Alex Jones, it was him uh, uh, putting out a promo for his new streaming site because he's been pretty much banned everywhere else, which I do find is amusing. And not without uh, yeah warrant. I mean, if if he was being targeted because he's uh, uh, you know an asshole, that's one thing. But him calling for violence and uh, spewing hate speech—that's against the terms of service. You're gone, motherfucker. Yep. Granted, not sure how the president gets by, but eh. <sighs> because he's the president. Oh, uh, don't worry. He's going to regulate Google and Twitter because you know he's uh, for uh, regulation now. <laughs> or did you see that one? Yeah. Nope, I saw that too. I t- tweeted about that. I was like, my first, my first response to this is, "Oh, honey." Bless my second your response heart. to this is, my second response is, "God, you're stupid." Like, good luck taking on Google, one of the only companies in the in the world that actually could give the government, a government, any government, a run for their money. So, good luck with that. Uh, the thing that I'm talking about, though, specifically with reference to in, in psychology with how someone will take sort of a so much energy devoted to a thing and then start acting out on that thing is called reaction formation. Just going to just going to throw that in there. Almost like you have a master's in this or something. It's almost like I'm a practicing therapist. And have dealt with things like this before and people... Wait, wait, therapist? I, I thought you were the rapist. Well, you can't sp- spell therapist without rapist. <laughs> the game is Anyways, on. Anyways, <laughs> now that we've essentially completely derailed the start of our topic... Yeah, and uh, try to lighten the mood, I think. I think that's I think that's kind of our coping mechanism. Hey, it's almost like I've hung out with a therapist way too much. Indeed. Is that Indeed. we try to lighten the mood and lighten the blow... Uh, because uh, I saw this and just shook my head. Yeah, I think that I was. Did I actually show this one to you? Uh, like, I, or did you see I think it I, around the time? I, I think I saw it around the time. Uh, but uh, I was the one that showed you our next news topic, which we're not jumping to yet because we still have things to talk about in this one. Yes, but unfortunately, there was a shooting at a Madden tournament. Um. Yeah, reportedly uh, the uh, shooter was a uh, contestant, and there's some mixed uh, info on uh, if he uh, if he lost or if you know, something else happened. 
I've seen a couple of reports on different things and uh, this has been kind of dominating national news and uh yeah the most common thing I've seen was that he uh when he lost he got upset and uh, he had a concealed firearm on him which he pulled and started shooting other contestants or other competitors yeah which um you know, anger management I've realized, yeah. you know, the my, you know moniker on mom uh, makes that a little bit uh, funny, but still. What was the final um, casualty uh, uh, total? I've only seen two dead, uh, both of them competitors uh, in the uh, uh, event. I haven't seen any updates on uh, fatalities, which has, I'm trying to find. Uh, okay, them. here we go. On the gamesindustry.biz article. Uh, 13 victims, 3 deceased, Which includes the, uh, the, uh, the suspect, the shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, two, 2 victims, and then the shooter shot himself. Uh, and then that would leave 10 other people who were wounded. Yeah, a couple of which were uh, injured due to the stampede. No, yeah, not uh, unsurprisingly, right? Yeah, I mean, if I was somewhere and someone started shooting, I mean, I'm. They teach you whenever you go to uh, concealed carry courses, like don't be a hero. It's like a last ditch thing, and if you can reasonably run, then that's a better course of action than to pull your gun also and start shooting. So wait, 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 wait! You're talking yeah. about uh, uh, good guys with guns shouldn't be uh, firing randomly into crowds. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, that's what they teach you when you go to take your concealed carry training course that you're required to in most states. I would say most same states. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they teach you. At least the instructor that I had, and I think any good instructor would say, you know, don't don't get the hero complex. Don't add to the chaos. Yeah, because if you're shooting and the police show up, they have no idea that you're the good guy with the gun, you know, to borrow the political phrase nowadays, and you'll get your ass shot. Yeah. On top of adding to the chaos and potentially adding more victims. That's why the whole, you know, all, all it takes is one good guy with a gun there to stop it just loses all, you know, arguments uh, to me. Is that, you know, okay, well... Have you ever been in that type of situation? Grant, I haven't, so I'm speaking hypothetically on my part, but I think it would be a little chaotic, and there's no way it's going to be, like, at the firing range, you know? Yeah. And that's on top no. of the psychological thing of you're shooting another person. And I yeah. think at least I mean, a good part of the population would have at least some pause on that, even if they're you know, firing randomly into a crowd, that person, I should say. Yeah. I've never done a, a a course like um like a not an obstacle course, but you know the training courses that they walk you through and like you go through rooms and shoot targets and all that stuff. But I have done um a more advanced a couple of more advanced training courses where like they get your heart rate raised and have you like shoot from awkward positions and things to try and simulate more real world scenarios. And even doing that compared to just standing on a firing range and just practicing marksmanship is 
a whole different ball game and really difficult. So, I yeah, I never want to be in that situation. I never ever ever want to be in that situation. And even if I was, I probably would run. Um, if at all possible. Because yeah, I don't want to make it worse. I, I I carry a weapon to, in like a last ditch scenario. And I hope I never have to use it for anything other than target practice or the occasional time that my dad convinces me to go hunting with him. Although if I go hunting, I'm not going to take my pistol for that. What, you're not going to give it to the, rifle uh, or uh, to the deer to you know, give him a short sporting chance? <laughs> give Here you go. Have a fighting chance. Although deer don't have thumbs, so I don't know how he's going to work. Uh, you're just hanging the on trigger, the trigger, but he'll figure it out. <laughs> Deers, deer are smart and pesky little creatures. And delicious. They are delicious. Um, so we pretty much immediately went to gun-related yeah. stuff. I, I, mean, but... I think that's the logical place to go with this, because this is somebody that I think it's fairly obvious that they had some sort of issue. If their first thought on losing is to shoot up the place. Yeah. I, I think this really goes back to, you know, just the lack of mental health care in the U.S. And I, I, I can't see you, but I can imagine your eyes just lit up on that one. <laughs> I just kind of shook my head. Where not only seeking mental health is demonized, but it's just not available for a lot of people in general. Yeah. I mean, it's it it's getting better in the States, and honestly, compared to some other places in the world, the United States is a shining example for mental health. Um, but, you know, the gap has really closed in the last five years or so uh, with other places in the world. Um, them sort of catching up and in a lot of ways surpassing U.S. mental health. Um, we, I mean, the United States used to be a world leader in, in mental health, both research and application, and uh, a lot of other European uh, countries are, are catching up and in some cases passing United States mental health. A lot of it, honestly, the biggest problem, which we, we're not going to get into here, is the United States healthcare system in general. Which really fucks over mental health in a lot of ways. What you're saying, uh, healthcare so. is complex. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew uh, health insurance can be so complex? Um, I, I feel like I'm baiting you more than uh, usual tonight. We're getting we're getting a lot of funding right now because of the air quotes opiate crisis, which we are trying to turn into programs to help people who need it more than air quotes, people suffering from the opiate crisis. Yeah, which I could uh, talk a bit about that. Grand, uh, well, not firsthand. Uh, but my state is one of the worst with the opiate crisis. And, well, I can't really use sarcasm quotes on that one because there's a there was a town uh, in the southern part of West Virginia that served out several million doses of uh, different opioids uh, granted you know typically a town like that it's not serving just the town but it's serving the surrounding area but uh, a lot of it stems from the fact that 
effects, uh, especially Oxycontin, was marketed to doctors as being less likely to be abused because it's a time-release drug. Never minding the fact that if you crush the pill and snort it or you know smoke it or whatever, yeah, imbibe it a different way than they intended. It bypasses all the mechanisms that they built into the drug, and it was a higher dosage, which makes it a lot more addictive. Yeah. But that's you know getting into the nitty gritty of the marketing and how fucked up that is, and we're completely off topic. Yeah, meth's a big problem in the yeah, well, Tennessee. Well, meth is here as well. I can't find current rankings. The last one that I see in Tennessee was number two, or number forty-nine, depending on how you want to look at that. Uh, worst state from meth. But that was a few years ago. But that's our that's our drug of choice here in good old Vol State, meth. Yeah, I'm just. But yes, we're real. I'm. I promise, I'm not trying to avoid talking about this. It's just a lot of the. This is a, a tragedy. Any any shooting, any mass event, you know, mass murder or. Um, Anything like this is a tragedy, but the problem is not video games. The problem is not anything that relates to gaming other than the fact that it this time it happened at a video game tournament. It all has to do with, you know, gun laws and gun violence in the United States, the gun mental health in general. And the, yeah, and oh, the, I got a train coming, you know, the, the health and mental health in the country. That's why it's so easy to get off of this and talk about other things because it's the other things that actually matter in this discussion, not the video games. And I know everyone listening to this podcast right now knows that, but for so many people who are still, you know, led around by the nose by sensationalist media, and that does go both ways, but in this instance, it's much more conservative media particularly Fox News, because it always is these days, trying to turn this into anything to draw attention away from Guns. the thousand and one fires that are that are burning in our country right now. And in this case, in particular, it would be, like you just said, guns. Yeah, there's going to be so a that's why link it's... in the show notes. Uh, this isn't directly from Fox News. This is from, I believe it's uh, Think Progress. Uh, they had a article that had the clip in it, uh, so I borrowed their clip. It's an unlisted clip, so it goes to them. Uh, where it's a clip from Fox News and the, uh, I think it's the state attorney general of Florida. And she goes on this tangent about location services and video games. All right, bitch. This was at a fucking LAN party. You don't need location services to be able to figure out that the person that just beat you is sitting right next to you. Uh, but and how, and how do you? How does that make you feel? Um, unhappy. Uh, but it's. I can see uh, that. But, you seem to be letting out some big thoughts there. Uh, but it's just you know, a one of countless examples particularly 
in the conservative media for this particular issue where they twist the subject matter to something completely irrelevant. I mean, is location services be able to find someone through your IP, which you know is a little bit more vague than they say it is most of the time. And most of the time, whenever, like the swatting incident that was in, what was it, Oklahoma? Oklahoma? Uh, Which one? uh, The one that the guy guy got killed in uh, by the trigger happy cop. Yeah, I think that was Oklahoma. Uh, Indiana or Oklahoma. Yeah, he, he was a completely innocent victim. He wasn't even playing video games. And the reason why that swatting incident happened was the person that, uh, uh, that negged out on a bet gave an old address and said, well, come get me. So, yo, it's not even location service at that point. It's just twisting the issue, giving some vague things that may or may not be true, and selling fear. And be afraid, sheeple, be afraid. There's There's video games out there. It's worse than what rap whatever was. <laughs> uh, but that's a subject probably for another day as well, where uh, it's just the older generation and the uninformed being led by the nose. And the sad thing Indeed. is that the people that are leading them have agendas that are very easy to find if you were to Google them, which I realize Google is an evil thing now because it needs regulation. <laughs> yeah. Because someone... We're r- dipping our toes deep into some political stuff, but someone r- was rage Googling themselves and found out that the world hates them. And it just happens to be a giant yeah. Oompa, Oompa Loompa. Uh, but... For for a bonus episode, we should record uh, like a political, <laughs> like one shot podcast, and post uh, that up in the feed as a bonus. Uh, possibly, clearly labeled multiple times over politics. Because uh, I know that there are some people that don't like when we talk about politics, and that's yeah. fair. We're a video game podcast, not a politics podcast. Yeah, but grand. But... You know, in this case, politics and gaming are very closely tied. Indeed. Yeah, we should probably um, do that for like the, uh, yeah, after the midterms. Yeah. Do Do you have well, anything that you want well, to say well, I was or just add to that, this? Uh, uh, the I wanted to make it very clear the reason why she just leads around and brings up iller- uh, completely nonsensical uh, arguments. Uh, she's also happens to be backed by a certain national association. Do they have to do with rifles? Uh, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> a National Rifling Riflemen's Association? Uh, I would say uh, possibility is strong. But yeah, it's just... I see. Uh, that's also, see. you know, once again, getting back into the political side of things. Uh, it's just... Yeah. Uh, absolutely bonkers, this entire situation and how it's being completely twisted. And... Uh, well, uh, EA has gone as far as to cancel their other Madden events for the at least recent future, which I can understand why, especially, you know, fear of reprisals and re- fear of people just going absolutely crazy and wanting to honor the loss of the uh, two victims 
or two fatalities, I should say, because there's more than just two victims here. Yeah. Oh, it's just... Uh, it was not a good gaming news weekend. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Which leads us nope. into the other one, doesn't it? Yep. A Counter-Strike Go uh, YouTuber was killed while driving 100 miles per hour against traffic over the weekend. Dumb motherfucker. Um, oh, wait. Am I supposed to be yeah. uh, reveling of the dead? I mean, honestly, like... On the one hand, any any death is a tragedy. I would say the de- the tragedy. tragedy here is of the family uh, or families he tore apart because he yeah. uh, hit a car and killed a mother and child. That's yep. the tragedy here. Um, and then it the article says there's one other person in the vehicle who was injured, but it does not say if it was like a father or. Uh, uh, like another uh, family no, member uh, or whatever. Which I, I completely understand that. I mean, hell, people are trying to dox these people. Uh, his yeah. fans. Yeah, but I mean, on the one hand, it it's a tragedy, but on the other hand, God, this guy is a dumbass. I mean, I, just, it, ju- it just sounds like, like Jesus, he's a giant man, asshole. Because okay, before he did this, he was actually at an elementary school ramming the gates. Or did you not see that? No, I didn't see that. I wonder I wonder if he was like high or drunk or something or having a psychotic uh, break. It's not listed in this article. I'll have to dig up the Sid Alpha video because he uh, goes more in detail than this article does. Where I uh, he was at an elementary school uh and was trying to uh essentially get onto the playground. And people tried to stop him. He drove off, and that was a half an hour before the accident. And there's a lot of speculation on why he did this. He was big on both the CSGO skin side and the gambling side. And not too long ago, he had his account uh, trade locked, which lost him over $100,000 worth of CSGO items. And up until that yeah. point, he was a very regular YouTuber. Uh, showing off skins, showing off trading sites, showing off gambling sites. Which starts to get into the, you know, the seedy underside of uh, just how CSGO has turned out. But. Yeah. And I mean, he was very clearly making shit I mean, he bought that car. He bought, he bought that car with his profits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is. A, a McLaren 650S. I, I don't know how much that car is worth, but somewhere north of 150, 200 grand. Which honestly, Let's if you're yeah, you know, a, a CSGO uh, uh, YouTuber streamer, uh, buying a supercar for your uh, and he was 18. That's a thing. Uh, Let's see, U.S. dollars. The cheapest version of that car. In U.S. dollars is $269,500. I mean, it just seems like a, a silly investment to uh, drop that much money onto a car as your you know, first major thing, or possibly your first car, period. That is the thing, though, about some of these YouTubers. Uh, um, uh, as basically kids yeah. who are being handed... It's the lottery uh, syndrome, almost. You know, someone that uh, yeah, it just stumbles into oodles of money and is very unwise with it. And 
the thing with YouTube is that it's not just, you know, a chunk of money or, you know, an installment for the next 20 years, depending on how you uh, play it there. It's that, you know, you're constantly doing that. You have the fan base, you have people cheering you on. And then Valve pulled the plug on him. And people have been blaming Valve for this, which if you want to stretch it to the absolute truth or your absolute maximum, they do have some responsibility, but it takes all personal responsibility from this nitwit. Yeah. I mean, very few things in life for anybody are 100% a person's fault, but for things like this, most of the blame lies with the person. Sure. There were some events And I mean, I tell this to clients too, like you need to take personal responsibility for the shit that happens in your life. That's the only way to deal with it and to move past it. Like very shorthand therapy advice right there. Take personal responsibility for your shit. Anyways, you know, this guy had some basically, you know, good luck, you know, the the, the SEO gods smiled upon him. Yeah. Um, But then he also had some bad luck and decisions that he, well, some bad luck, some, again, some bad decisions that he made on his own part, like where he was following the money, essentially. And it was all taken away from him. And instead of trying to deal with his own problems, either finding a a new niche or even finding a new way to keep doing the same thing, whatever went on with this guy, he did some crazy, like made some crazy, stupid, bad decisions that got three people killed. One of those people himself, but three people killed injured another person pretty badly and it said in the article that there was i think it was a 12 car accident so you know multiple other people are having to deal with consequences of his actions to varying degrees like they were just people going to work or school or wherever and uh, the people blaming valve for uh, locking his account they don't lock accounts just randomly like this he had to be doing something yeah uh, likely tied to his uh, CSGO betting uh, videos. So, yeah, he's not blameless uh, in that either. Yeah. I mean, I would say this is probably 95% his fault. Maybe even more. Yeah, I just added the Sid Alpha video for uh, the show notes, by the way. So, yeah, I'm, I'll go back and watch that later. Uh, he gets, uh, Sid Alpha gets angry on that one. <laughs> I can imagine. Two people died. One of them, a little yeah, girl. Yeah, a 12-year-old. Yeah. Had her whole life ahead of her. Just completely senseless. And it does sound like he either, you know, was just purely suicidal or had a uh, some sort of mental break because trying to get onto a school ground. And uh, the thing is that there's not been a lot of updates because it's been completely eclipsed by the Madden shooting. So thankfully, yeah. he's not going to get the recognition that he probably wanted. Maybe. I don't want to assign that type of motivation to him. I mean, if he had some kind of break, that's one thing. If he was suicidal and he chose to endanger other people while trying to take his own life, that's another thing. But it's a whole other level if he's trying to gain infamy in his death or become some sort of martyr or something. I don't want to attribute that to him, even if that's what he was trying to do. Uh. Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it was a shitty news weekend. And what? this is the one that you didn't see. And you were wondering why, you know, I was saying it was just a shitty weekend. I mean, you know, a, a, a mass shooting is one thing. But having these two back to back. Yeah. Not to downplay mass shootings. Uh, but... Co- yeah, but the thing is that uh kind of started to get desensitized to them. It's no, it's no longer just the shock of uh, a mass shooting. It's all oh, another one. Which is terrible. Yeah. The United States is a scary place, guys. I'd say most of you know that, but. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up that there has to actually be drills for mass shootings in schools now. I mean, I had to have those. I didn't. We did, uh, I don't remember any in middle, high, or in elementary school, but starting in middle school on, we had them a few times a year in every grade I was Never in. had them in my schools. Uh, the worst the, there ever was, uh, grand, this was the 90s. Uh, was yeah. typically after a uh, shooting, and then a couple times randomly, uh, they would bring out the metal detector wand and uh, uh, cause everybody to slowly enter the school as they you know had to uh, sweep over everyone. But they also, uh, it was kind of disingenuous because they turned up the detector on it, uh, the the sensitivity on it so much that they were actually catching people that had cigarettes because it would go off because of the foil lining. So it felt more like that they were doing it for that other than, you know, gun safety. Yeah. See, I, I went to school both pre and post 9-11. And after 9-11, everything changed yeah. in in schools well, pretty quickly. Well, I would say uh, the Within country. like a year or so. Uh, not just schools. Well, yeah. Yeah, everywhere in the country. But schools was a big one where there were a lot of changes made. Yeah, and, and I remember those first few years. Like, I didn't quite understand why. I remember those first few years, it was constant drills and checks and things, and then it sort of became the norm. Doing air quotes, slacked off to become the normal, and then you just did it like two or three times a year. But, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty much done with my schooling by then, so I never really encountered that. It's just, uh, the country has gone absolutely insane for security theater because a lot of the measures that are taken are reactionary and they're for very particular things Uh, like taking off your shoes for example yeah yeah something like 95 i think one of the statistics i've seen several statistics of this but you know, there could be some variance, but something like 95% of all airport security in the United States is actually security theater and doesn't do anything except inconvenience to or stop. Inconvenience and uh, make you feel a little safer. Yeah, but it doesn't make me feel safer. But that's because I know about it. It just inconveniences me. But you also get fondled. I do get fondled. Every time I go through airport security, I get fondled. And here I thought you would enjoy that. Uh, it's annoying. They don't, they don't buy me dinner first. They don't, you know, they don't finish. They just do a little fondling. Make me wait in line. Then send me on the way. Then you have to go finish yourself. But yeah, I get, I get fondled every time I go through airport security. Twice, usually. Once because my hair 
So they like check my back and stuff. And once because I've got a big penis. Uh, sir, so are you packing? My crotch. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just happy to see you. I'm, <laughs> I'm not joking. They're always like, you've got a little bit of bulge in your crotch there. We're going to have to check that out. And I used to be like, okay. And now I'm just like, that's my dick. And like all the TSA agents like look at me like I'm a crazy person. But it's like, it happened. I mean, it happens literally every time I go through airport security. For years now, they've patted down my crotch every time I go through. Yeah, the, the... that's probably more information than any one of you <laughs> listening wanted to know. Unless they were subscribed to Straight as a Pretzel. Wink. Yeah. Anyways, uh, well, let's well, go ahead. I, and... I just want to add one last thing. Uh, Pendulette had the idea for airport security, and I wanted to share this one for with you. It was called Bacon and okay. Kiss. Uh, okay. This was particularly uh, targeted at the Islamic extremists. Where, in order to get on an airplane, you had to eat a piece of bacon and kiss someone of the same gender. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Eating bacon and getting some smooches? I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, that'd be uh, a security theater that you would uh, appreciate, huh? I would definitely appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, but there'd theater. be no time. Oh, damn it. <laughs> But uh, there is something that there will be uh, some uh, cultural enlightenment in our next story. And indeed, video game music is just as good at introducing classical music for children as a concert. Arts chief says. Yeah, this was something that I saw shortly after our previous two stories and thought, yes, a positive story. Yes. <laughs> uh, but. Not really surprising whenever you think about it that uh, video game soundtracks, they uh, often lean onto the classical music side of things and into more orchestral side of things. So it's not surprising that it's just as good as an introduction as a concert. Matter of fact, I would say that it's possibly even better because the children are engaged and they're not just sitting there listening to music that they may or may not be interested in yeah yeah they're doing something they enjoy with the backing track being classical music and i mean in the article we got here it says you know that uh, television and movies are up there at the top but video games um are sort of climbing those ranks as more and more people play video games at younger and younger ages. Um, and when we were talking about this earlier, before we put it on the news uh, list, um, we mentioned, you know, we remember cartoons like Bugs Bunny and things. They have opera, a couple of episodes that are, were entirely like at the opera, and they've got lots of classical music in them themselves. Uh, should, uh, wait, and wait, wait. Do, I think... do we have to explain who Bugs Bunny is to our younger audience? <laughs> I mean, I'm... I think everybody knows. My kid knows who Bugs Bunny is. Yeah, but he's not on TV anymore. <laughs> he's considered... No. Uh, too, uh, or uh, Looney Tunes are considered uh, not PC enough. Or at least some of them are. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Has my kid ever actually seen... He's watched Tom and Jerry. He likes Tom and Jerry. I've shown him Bugs Bunny. I don't think he's ever actually watched a Bugs Bunny cartoon, but he knows who Bugs Bunny is. I think we have a project uh, for the next couple of weeks. 
we've recently when I say we, he's recently discovered Scooby Doo. We've been watching a lot of Scooby Doo here lately. Has he discovered that it's always the second person that they meet? <laughs> no, he hasn't figured that out yet. To be fair, you know, at least the old Scooby Doo, you know, very limited budget. <laughs> I've not seen much newer Scooby Doo. I mean, I know that they're still actively producing Scooby Doo cartoons, and I've seen a few now with King and. We watched a couple of movies, not the live action movies. Those are trash. They deserve to burn in a fire. But the animated movies, we've watched several of those. But I mean, there's like a bazillion episodes of the show. So, yeah. I remember watching Scooby-Doo as a kid. So watching the newer Scooby-Doo movies, I'm like, those are not the same voice actors. And he's like, King's like, shut up, daddy. I'm trying to watch the show. There's the crazy dinosaur running around. <laughs> Anyways. There's some there's some classical music in Scooby-Doo, too. Yeah. Granted, some of that may just be because it was in the public domain. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, yeah. But I think video games are a good way to introduce people in general, but also kids, to lots of different cultural ideas and things. Yeah, especially as gaming What's... starts to branch out into uh, more niche cultures, more or less known cultures. Uh, particularly, I would say uh, the Far East. Uh, that's not really highlighted too much in the West. Yeah. Uh, things like Jade Empire, for example. Yeah. Because that, a lot of history. Yeah, that has a lot of history, a lot there. of mythology uh, for uh, China. Uh, Journey to the West. Uh, or Odyssey Journey to the West, which is a retelling of the Journey to the West uh, 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 story that's thousands of years, or hundreds of years old now, I think. Or is it thousands? I can't remember uh, the actual age on that. Uh, let me... I'm not sure. Probably hundreds, maybe a thousand, but I don't uh, think it would be thousands. Uh, I'm just quickly looking up... Okay, 16th century... <laughs> Uh, for some reason, I was thinking it was a bit older than that. But okay, hundreds of years old still. You know, it's only hundreds. Yeah, pro probably the reason for that, though, is that their most Eastern culture is much older than Western culture. Even the oldest European cultures only go back a thousand, fifteen hundred years. Which, I mean, granted, that is a long time, but most Eastern cultures go back thousands of years, all the way back in the Mediterranean to the beginning of recorded history um so i mean that's where humanity evolved mm -hmm. and then spread out so <clears throat> it makes sense that they have the most history and the most cultural stuff to explore uh, that in middle eastern but culture has a lot of uh untapped uh, culture that really isn't shown uh gaming at all yeah middle eastern and indian uh does india they don't count as Middle Eastern. They're Asian. Uh, that would technically be... Uh, well, It's uh, uh, India is a subcontinent, so... Yeah. Uh, but I would say it's usually probably lumped in with Asia. Uh, yeah. There was one game I picked up uh, recently that I've been meaning to try out. Uh, it's about the colonial times for uh, India. It's a sandbox RPG. Interesting. Yeah, I, I know I uh, linked it to you. It's called Kim. 
Uh, I'm not recalling it, but I'm sure you have linked it to me. Uh, so. Unfortunately, now the top... Is it on yeah, Steam? Unfortunately, now the top uh, search for Kim is uh, uh, one of the crappy... Uh, uh, not really asset, but low effort uh, you know, indie games. But uh, Kim uh, is a boisterous street urchin in the 1800 or 1880s. And his wanderlust will take him all over India. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see this. Granted, it is top down. I remember so. this. But yeah, this was just a nice little, nice little news topic. Do you have any any final thoughts? Uh, not really. I mean, it's kind of obvious that uh, as gaming bo- borrows more from uh, classical sources and uh, you know, has grander soundtracks and. Uh, that could be considered classical music. It's obvious that children are going to become more interested in it. I mean, just yeah. uh, paging around uh, uh, Amazon Music and finding out some of the uh, gaming soundtracks that's on it and seeing how popular some certain songs are that I wouldn't think. Uh, particularly whenever I start getting into the Final Fantasy music on here. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, Final Fantasy is a lot of classical music. Yeah. Orchestral. Orchestral. Very orchestral. Yeah. The more... There's always segments in it that are not, and mm-hmm. I think the more modern Final Fantasy games go to a lot more... Granted, I have a... Electronica, yeah. techno-style music, yeah. but there's still plenty of classical yeah, instruments there. I haven't really there. played the last couple. I've been meaning to go play, uh, well, 12 and maybe 13. I tried playing uh, 13, but... On PC, but it's just... Uh, yeah, it's a it's got yeah, problems it's a crappy port and uh my pc is already uh, starting to you know really show its age so it was even worse but i gave it a shot yeah yeah you know, that's what steam refunds are for indeed indeed which that would be a lovely segue but we don't have anything about steam refunds this week no but microsoft is giving people a shot with their xbox all access program which Basically, is rent to own Xbox consoles. Yeah, uh, this is uh, what they're calling limited time right now. Uh, this feels very much like a pilot program, where yeah. you're able to uh, essentially, well, well, like I said in the notes, and you just said rent to own uh, a uh, yep. Xbox One X or Xbox One S. Which oh, can Microsoft have less confusing uh, naming schemes, please? <laughs> uh, for a monthly fee with no interest on it. Uh, $35 a month uh, for 24 months for the uh, 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 Xbox uh, One uh, X. I had to stop and uh, think about which one it is. <laughs> or 22 for uh, the One S. Uh, unfortunately, it's limited to, the, uh, to their physical stores only, and they have a very limited number of their physical stores. That's why I'm saying that it feels a lot like a pilot program to see you know, what the buzz would be for this. But it does open up the possibility of making gaming a lot cheaper to pick up. Gaming is still a very expensive hobby to start, even if you go for consoles. Which is the uh, cheaper entry-level stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Amazon do... Uh, 
essentially a pay-as-you-go scheme for computer parts now. Uh, There's going to be a lot more, I think, uh, uh, pay-as-you-go, rent-to-own payment plans uh, on offer just in general in gaming as uh, the economy uh, does some weird things, I think is the uh, fair way to say that. Yeah, well, I mean, you see this sort of thing happen to most products as the market grows for them and as they become more utility as opposed to luxury. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, computers have been utility for a couple of decades at this point, but gaming has still been, I mean, like you said, it's it's, compared to some hobbies, it's not very expensive, but it it does have a pretty high upfront cost. High upfront, but lower uh, upkeep. I think that would be the best way to say it. Right, but as gaming becomes more and more and more accessible and mainstream, it makes sense that it starts being treated more like um, certain utilities are. I mean, you know, you think about any appliance that you have in your house, you can purchase in this method. Cars you can, homes you can. Um, about the only thing, really, that you can't buy this way that I can think of that isn't just, you know, tiny, small sort of purchases is food. Um, but any sort of appliance or, you know, utilitarian object can be purchased this way. And I think it's just interesting to see the potential shifting market as gaming becomes more and more integrated into people's everyday lives. Um, I, this isn't really a deal. I was calculating just very quickly, you know, the total cost for it and, I'm not sure if there's any markup on it. I understand that they're not doing any interest, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if there's a markup on it. But the Xbox One X, for example, at $35 a month for 24 months is $840. Yeah, bucks. The yeah that's quite the thing. X, the X, I think, is $600. Um, there's There may or may not be tax factored into this price. Probably not. Um, but I think the X is $600 base yeah, price. Well, the uh, Xbox then... One S, uh, according to this, is $527.76. Okay. Uh, that's twenty uh, $21.99 so... a month uh, for 24 months. Yeah, I just rounded up to the nearest dollar. But uh, I think the S is only 300 bucks. So there but is a market. Actually, that's pretty consistent, so... Well, Xbox Live is 60 bucks a year, so that's $120 cuz you get 2 years yeah. of that. And then the Game Pass is $10 a month. Yeah, then um, account for if that. You just pay it monthly. So so that's another 200. So it does come out to be a bit cheaper if you include the services. Yeah. But okay, so there's probably not a markup. Might actually be a little more a little bit cheaper. In that respect, but they're counting on you um, buying into other things, you know, uh, making money on the server, the other yeah, services. Yeah, well, that's console and then gaming in general. The tail of the program. That's console j- gaming yeah. in general. Is that uh, it's the essentially the razor model, where they make money on the blades on the games instead of uh, yeah. the handle or the console. Granted, uh, that's not quite been true uh, with modern generations, but at least in past generations, uh, they would actually lose money on the console itself to get a larger install base and make their money through licensing or uh, 
they would lose money on their first party games to be, you know, the spectacles to be able to draw people into the system to be able to make their money through licensing on second party and third party titles. Right, being a loss leader. But as the price of hardware comes down for them, the manufacturing cost comes down. They don't want to pass on. There's the, been a lot less yeah, of that yeah, going on. Yeah, they don't on. want to pass on the savings because, yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, there's also the psychology of it that, you know, if the, something is too cheap, it's uh, considered inferior product. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff in economics in, you know, some courses I've taken and stuff where it's been like, well, uh, we we didn't change our product. We just raised the price on it to – and then people started buying it because they thought it was a higher quality product. And there's stories of that in, in lots of industries. I'm not sure how many of them are true. You know, that's one of those mm-hmm. things that, you know, sounds great for marketing or whatever. But I know that there are there are definitely some true cases of it, so – it could be that. I do know that when the Xbox One and the PS4 launched initially back in 2013, they were selling at cost, which I remember that being a huge deal because um, there were articles all over the place saying, oh, these are the first consoles that these companies are making that aren't selling at a loss. They're not going to be selling at a profit, but they're not selling at a loss, and that's a huge deal. Yeah, but deal. of course, as yeah, the hardware revisions go through... And they streamline their manufacturing process. Yeah, they start turning a profit a lot sooner. Yeah, because they don't sell at a loss forever. There's a reason why there's a revision to the hardware, even though it's the same console. They cut out features that's no longer needed, like backwards compatibility. Or if you want to go further back, of the original PlayStation. It had an uh, an I/O port on the back of it uh, that was uh, removed. That was going to be for some uh, utilities and was eventually just used for game sharks. <laughs> because uh, well, the initial uh, well, ahead, it was also uh, and they just never released anything for it. As far as I know, they there was some LAN compatibility, but I don't think that was that port. I think it was a different port on it, if I recall correctly. Yeah, the PS3 had something like that too. When the first PS3 launched, the the fat PS3, they had I/O for everything. There was FireWire, um, multiple USBs. They had um, multiple HDMI's. I don't remember if it had DisplayPort or not. DisplayPort was either in its infancy or not around back then. I'm not sure when DisplayPort came in to play, but they had like micro HDMI. Uh, input and just on and on and on like the back of that thing has more input outputs than my PC does but I mean that was a ton of wasted wasted stuff that most people didn't use so they cut that out for future revisions of the PS3 yeah but it was great marketing the to cost start of with it. yeah but uh, yeah I mean this is just this is really interesting I wonder I want I wonder how it goes I mean if this is successful I wouldn't mind doing something like this to pick up, uh, round out my console library going forward. Yeah, but... Uh, I don't know, though. It's yeah, so Yeah, but you have to go to their physical so stores. Uh, and that's the catch, at least right now. I don't... I wonder if there's a Microsoft store near me. Microsoft. There's probably one in, like, Nashville. I know my state doesn't have one. 
Also, Microsoft Physical Stores locations. Uh, we're sorry that page request cannot be found. <laughs> Tennessee. Oh, there's one in Knoxville and one in Nashville. So I could drive uh, now an hour and a half, two hours to the one in Knoxville. I mean, I'm not going to do that, but I could. I'm, I'm, I, I love, I, I search uh, Microsoft Physical Store. Uh, the fourth uh, fourth link for it. Microsoft tried to clone the Apple Store. It hasn't. It still hasn't worked. <laughs> nice. Then again, you know they're offering to different clientele. So, and also the people that use Microsoft products typically hate Microsoft. We just use it because we have to. Because they have DirectX. Oh, it's it's not that bad. It's only an hour and 49 minutes away from me. That's too far. I'm not driving that far. But, honestly, though, the only things that I would want to play, now that I think about it on console, would be the exclusives. So, Halo? And I just wait. I just wait. Whenever the next version comes out, I might buy the last one. I've considered picking up a PS3, because I had an Xbox 360, but I didn't have a PS3, so I missed most of PlayStation's exclusives from the last generation. I could probably get a PS3 for 100, 200 bucks. Do a bunch of games or buy games digitally on PSN. Go hit the yard sale. PS3. Oh, Jesus. PS3 console with a four stacks of games, two controllers, 150 bucks on eBay. Oh, I could fix a PS3. Oh, no. PS3 parts only, 40 bucks. Buy it now, free shipping on eBay. If I hadn't just tied up all of my money for stuff like yeah, this... Yeah, but that's like two computers. phones and that laptop. I know. I know. But yeah, it looks like I could get a PS3 on eBay for somewhere between 100 and 150 bucks working with games, controllers. So... I don't know. I have to admit, that's a conversational to admit, topic for another day. It is a little tempting day. at that price point. Yeah, because, I mean, there are good exclusives on every console Mm -hmm. generation that, you know, I would be interested in playing. And for a low enough buy-in, why not? So, why not we uh, move on to Community Corner? Indeed. Move on over to Community Corner. Do you want to do the secret segment first, or do our... Let's get this over uh, with. Okie dokie. I'm not sure how I feel about this. If I suddenly disappear, one of the <laughs> one of the listeners in our community uh, sent me a message on Steam as oh they do boy. over the weekend while I was sick. Uh, you know, just chatting with me, asking me a couple of questions about stuff, and uh, she was like, "Hey, you know, you're sick this weekend. You're kind of down. I want to challenge you to do oh, something." No. I was like, "Okay, what you got?" So she was saying, "You know, you guys go on." Uh, ad nauseum about certain topics on the show, things that you don't like. And while I agree with you on a lot of things, there's some things that I'd actually, you know, want you to take a look at before you uh, just completely, like, dismiss them. Love to hear your thoughts on some things. And she gave me a few things, but the one that I chose to start with is... Ah, I can't type again. 
Ghostbusters 2016, uh, the remake. She was like, I, you know, you guys have complained about that being a bad movie. I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on it until after you watch it, and then we can talk about it. But uh, I want you to watch it and talk about it on the show and do one of your little quick movie, movie reviews like you've done before and uh, share your thoughts with Rage and then see what he has to say. So, this weekend... Uh, among other things, because I did this with a few other things to potentially prepare for future segments related to this, I watched uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. Uh, take my thoughts with a one or two grains of salt. I was sick yeah, and you're taking drugs. lots of cold medicine. Taking lots of cold medicine. Although, if anything, that probably would help. <laughs> That's not high praise for Ghostbusters 2016. Ghostbusters 2016 is an interesting movie. It doesn't do anything like average or halfway. It's either all or nothing. Overall, this movie is something like uh, a C or a C minus, like very average. But at no point in the movie does it feel average. It's either amazing or god-awful. Um, there's some things that it does really right that I was surprised at how much I liked in the movie. Uh, for example, I was worried that all of the special effects and some of the liberties they took with like the gadgets and things would be terrible and just further contribute to how much I disliked this movie. But actually, I liked a lot of the special effects that they did. Um, some of the physical comedy gags that they did where they combined, you know, props and, uh, real, uh, real effects, practical effects with the special effects played out really well. Those were some of the funniest moments in the movie, the actual physical comedy that came from interacting with the ghosts. And then when they did the really big battle scene at, uh, at the end of the movie that turned out looking really well. Like, I was worried that it was going to turn out terribly because, obviously, in the first Ghostbusters, the main, you know, like, the big confrontation at the end of the movie is zapping the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and then crossing the streams, you know? Yeah, which they uh, led all... into uh, really well in the old movie. They did. They did. Um, But the actual, like, big battle scene, aside from the fact that I think it went on a little bit too long, was really well done. Um, they used all of the gear in the movie, uh, you know, the the Chekhov's gun principle, like you show the gun in the first act, uh, and by the third act you need to have used the gun. Every gadget that they showed off in the movie they used, and nothing really felt like it was overused. I like what they did with, like, the little pistols. That was pretty cool. Um, and everything actually made sense. Like, it, it felt like they actually thought out that part of the movie, and used all of the gadgets in a way that they would be used. Um, and they properly built up gadgets throughout the whole movie, like testing things multiple times, and they approved as they went. Like, that was something that was done really well in the movie. Now, counterpoint, something that was god-awful in the movie, was uh, Melissa McCarthy. I like her in some things, um, but her style of comedy being super improvisational it, like it felt like probably 30 or 40 percent of this movie's dialogue was like okay and melissa mccarthy go so in other words she's and i've seen bill some murray. outtakes no she is not a bill murray um she's got sort of one shtick that comes with like her comedy routine is is vulgar plus some physical 
exaggerated silly movements and there are some movies that that works in but when the rest of the cast is infinitely more interesting and funny than you are um it just was not good uh so most of the scenes where they're just sitting around talking if if melissa mccarthy is the uh the focal point of the scene it is not good now the scenes where they have um Ah, shit, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Chris Hemsworth, the guy who plays Thor in the Marvel mm-hmm. movies. He's actually incredibly funny. Um, he's, he's a very good comedic actor with a good sense of comedic timing and a uh, really good amount uh, or, or like a some good improv training. Um, he's if you don't want to watch this movie, but you want to see what I'm talking about, watch Thor uh, Ragnarok. Um, they really let him do a lot of uh, comedy improvisation in that movie. And he's got some real good comedy chops, which they use to the fullest extent in this movie. Now, I've got some problems with his character in the movie and some issues I have with themes in this movie that I'll get to towards the end. But the actual acting and presentation that he does, good. I, I laughed a lot, although sometimes shamefully so, but... Uh, again, that has to do with the themes and some other like bigger issues I have with this movie. Probably the other best character in the movie, aside from Chris Hemsworth doing, you know, his kind of dumb comedy shtick, uh, is uh, what is her name? Um, she's on Saturday Night Live. Kate McKinnon. Uh, Kate McKinnon's character in this movie is amazing. Every time she's on screen and she gets to have more than, you know, a couple sentences of dialogue, she just steals the scene. Her performance is great. She's got this whole lesbian undertones thing going, but it's not like the new movie never is like, hey, look, we've got a lesbian. We've got like, we're down with the LGBTQ things. Like it, the movie never does that. It just is like, She's got some very longing looks and some, like if you're not paying attention or if you don't normally notice that sort of thing, you would completely miss it. But she plays it perfectly. And she's the uh, the Egon of the group. And she does that role extremely well. Um, So she like she gave the movie some bonus points right there. Like she basically cancels out all of the terribleness that Melissa McCarthy has in the movie. Um. The movie really falls flat with its cameos. There's only one, like, cameo or reference that's any good at all and doesn't just, like, feel like, hey, look, this is that Ghostbusters thing. Uh, I believe the term would be contractual obligation. Yeah. The only one that's any good at all is the joke about the fire station because they go to the the same fire station and they're going to, like, rent it. And then they find out how much it costs to rent that fire station. And then, like, they make a couple jokes about, like, we can't afford that. And, like, it it sounds like it would be really bad, but they actually did a good job, like, pulling it off. And, it, you know, it shows up. And it's like, hey, there's the fire station. But, you know, there's a, a really good reason for why we're just going to show it. And it's funny. Um, I'm trying to think other really major things worth talking about. It's not... Aside from Chris Hemsworth and Kate McKinnon and then a few, you know, some of the physical comedy gags, it's really not funny. They try really hard to make it like this, you know, 21st century, almost slapstick comedy take on Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters wasn't almost, really uh, slapstick. It had its moments, but 
uh, it's hard to really explain. Yeah, no, it's Ghostbusters was in an incredibly intelligent yeah, it, it was a, movie. Yeah, it had a lot yeah, to maybe say. That's a, uh, it, it's a more intellectual comedy. And this feels like a really dumb movie playing to the lowest common denominator. Uh, uh, but then um, they would have uh, moments like, tell them about the Twinkie. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this this movie is basically the opposite. It's mostly stupid with the occasional moment of like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I see what you're doing there. It's a little bit, a little bit more highbrow. But I mean, like I said, like the things that it does great, it does great. The things that it does bad, it does awfully. I will agree, um, at least what I've seen, that the special effects does look really impressive, especially uh, in the lead up to it. There was a lot of uh, trailers and uh, promos showing the librarian. Yeah. And that looked impressive. Um, yeah. Uh, but honestly, uh, yeah. the uh, special effects from the original, yes, they're campy, but yeah, they still are pretty good. But a lot of that was also still physical effects, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's the movie itself. Some big, probably it would have landed on like a C plus, C plus territory um, yeah, but, before. Yeah. But then when you take into some of the themes and things running through this movie this movie is incredibly sexist both towards men and towards women um they just completely over sexualize chris hemsworth character um and just make fun of how stupid he is and i think what they were trying to do was like see this is how women were treated in movies and now that the women are the main characters we're gonna treat this treat the men this way and if you do that right, that sort of, mm, not really satire, parody maybe, is, if you do that sort of parody of something and do it well, you make a point. If you do it badly, you're just doing the thing that you're trying to make fun of and you come off like an asshole. So not only do they do that, but they also over-sexualize and make fun of a lot of the female aspects in in the movie and do that for the sake of comedy, I think, with Melissa McCarthy's character. But it just comes off bad. Like, they're being sexist both directions. Plus, like I said, the movie is incredibly, like, lowest common denominator. Tries to be really, not slapsticky, but definitely a lot of really dumb humor. There's way too many fart and poop jokes in this movie. And none of them are even pulled off well for a little chuckle. So, in other words, it, it my just, original thoughts on uh the 2016 ghostbusters that it looks like a saturday night live movie based on making fun of the ghostbusters held true yeah that's, but that's to be pretty fair, good uh the director has been known to make satire movies and not actual comedy movies so yeah it's not it wasn't exactly a stretch for me to feel that way to begin with yeah. The only other major problem I have with the movie in terms of themes and stuff is it Simon Feig, is very think, right? flippant. Yeah, Fag or Feig. I'm not sure. I, I how just want to make it, sure. But, or no, Paul. Paul Paul Feig. Paul Paul uh, Feig or Paul Feig Feig. Actually don't know how you say his last name. But anyways, um it it has it treats death and suicide incredibly flippantly. Like Oh, you'll just come back as a ghost? Yeah. 
yeah, like the one the main villain kills himself so he can come back as a ghost and take over Chris Hemsworth's character's body. Dude, spoilers. Um Yeah. <laughs> But it's just like, okay, I'm not comfortable with the way you handled this situation. So, yeah, it's C minus. You know, it's not great. It's not terrible. I mean, half the movie is great and half the movie is terrible, roughly. Okay, as a counterpoint, how about we actually, uh, at some point, look at the real third Ghostbusters movie instead of this abomination? Okay. Uh, Ghost Rushers, the video game. Is, I was gonna say that's the you're talking about the game. Uh, that right? actually is the script for the third movie. Yeah, which you uh, you yeah. played on your have a let's play. Well, I wasn't trying channel. to plug it. I was actually going to suggest it for a game club at some point. We could Great, do that, it, but I'm totally plugging your YouTube channel. Uh, gaming with caffeine Ding. rage. Ding. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Granted, it's going to be a little tougher for you to get a hold of if you don't have it already because it's been pulled for everywhere because they wanted to shift focus to, yeah, this Ghostbusters. Yeah, I don't think I have it anywhere, so that's... Uh, so, piracy? I guess so. Arr. But anyways, yeah, so that's Ghostbusters 2016. She, ta- she challenged me to watch uh, a couple of other movies that... Because we go on and on about how bad video game movies are. I mean, granted, this me isn't really a video game movie. No, but... Alright, I gotta ask what movies. That was, uh, the new Tomb Raider movie is one. Uh, I don't remember granted, the other one. I've got granted, one on I only have Amazon Prime for now. I was going to hold off uh, well, picking up Netflix until uh, I actually had a television. I have the new Tomb Raider movie. I could hypothetically in theory you know in theory allegedly put a copy up for you to get i haven't ripped it yet but i can do that well, i'm actually signing but up to i actually my, brought that from my mom prom. and i can't remember the other movie she said that i should watch as an example of a good video game movie like i said i've got it written down somewhere um probably yeah. uh, world of warcraft no i've seen world of warcraft before if you're into Warcraft, it's a great movie. But if you're not, it's incomprehensible. So, uh, please don't tell me uh, I'll, uh, uh, it's uh, the Dungeon Siege movie because I no, will revolt. The, this, isn't that um, an Uva yes. Bowl movie? Yeah, that's why I was saying. Please don't say but, it's that. But yeah, no, it's it's not that. But uh, yeah, that was that was one of the things. So that's the secret segment, a review of, sort of review of Ghostbusters 2016, and your thoughts on it, which you, you got out. It's rated at 5.3 on IMDb, which is about where it needs to be rated, like right there in the middle. Maybe a little high, but not so high that I'm going to complain about it. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm never going to watch it again, unless it's just like playing in the background somewhere, and I'm at like a party, and I literally... Like, my phone is dead, and everyone at the party, like, I hate them, or they're all, like, mute, and they can't talk to me. Like, that's the only way I'm ever going to watch this movie ever again. But, I mean, I don't, like, regret watching it. I don't wish that I had my two hours back, or however long it is. Yeah, but to be fair, you were also uh, uh, off your balls on uh, drugs, so. (laughs) Yeah, I was taking a lot of cold medicine. 
But I mean, like well, I said, that should have made it uh, better. Tell what I've been watching. I go to uh, uh, Amazon Prime and it's uh, recommend me uh, Birth of the Tramp, uh, uh, a Charlie Chaplin story. Interesting. <laughs> uh, well, this is documentaries that's uh, 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 suggesting to me. Jack Lemmon, uh, Cary Grant, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> nice. But so, yeah. That was that. Did you uh, did you like having this little discussion, or did you not like it? Uh, well, I was uh, browsing Steam, so I, I just I, I think it was just I, I never was really going to enjoy this movie from the moment I saw the costumes and it felt Saturday Night Live, and they only did everything to reinforce that. Yeah, that's fair. That is oh, they very have the Watchmen fair. on here. Add that to my watch list. That is a difficult movie to follow at well, times. Well, this is the ultimate cut. Oh, the one that's like four hours long? Uh, three and a half. Yeah. So is that better or worse? Um, It's better. I've seen both the theatrical release and the... I just thought it was the extended cut, but maybe it's the ultimate cut. But it's better. You get a little more time. You get some more things explained to you. But it's still a really weird movie. Although the comic book is extremely weird. Dr. Manhattan is the most broken character of all time in multiple ways. But he's basically God. And he does weird things. But anyways, um, yeah. Let's uh, move on to our well, there's also the director's the cut audio here, so, list. Uh, there, there's uh, the ultimate cut and the director's cut. So. Pick. I think I've seen the director's I'm cut. I'm not sure what the difference is. I've seen the theatrical release and the director's cut. Are they both the same length? It uh, looks like roughly the same length, so maybe one or two extra scenes. Okay. I'm sure it you know, uh, completely explains the story. Yeah, I don't think anything completely explains the story. <laughs> I don't think people who've read all of the comics can completely explain the story. Do you story. think it's one of those uh, uh, stories and movies that people kind of get, but then just extrapolate on more and more and more uh, to the point where it's kind of its own lore that has nothing to do with the actual uh, source material? Probably. I mean, very oversimplifying the story, it's... Super. What if Superman was more morally gray or ambiguous? I believe they, I believe as they opposed had to that, being like uh, before. <laughs> uh, do what uh, in the DC animated uh, universe? Well, not at the time because uh, I believe Watchmen was written much earlier, like the comic before Superman went through, or before DC went through this phase where they did like their first really like dark comics and stuff like that. Uh, and the Watchmen is essentially like, what if DC Comics, but much more morally ambiguous? So you've got essentially like sort of your staples from DC Comics, like Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, like their allegories. But if they were much more morally gray and you get into all kinds of interesting moral dilemmas, like, like I said, Dr. Manhattan is basically God. He is omniscient, uh, and omnipotent. And he goes through weird 
adventures and I don't know. It's it's way too complicated to try and explain. We would need an entirely new <laughs> podcast to work through this. And how many episodes would you I dedicate to uh, Dr. Manhattan's dick? A few. <laughs> There's a giant Dr. Manhattan dick in the movie. Because he, like, makes himself giant to do some stuff. And he doesn't wear any clothes because, you know, he's basically God. Like, well, why do I give a shit about clothes? So, yeah. Anyways, letter. Yeah, the audioless letter. Text letter. Uh, does that mean we have to do our Colin impersonation? <clears throat> My throat cannot do a Colin impersonation. Greetings, Jay Arthur and Caffeine Rage. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> nope. Uh, but I did try to fix this formatting a little bit because I think he was only hitting enter once. And remember, it's like a zombie. You double tap. I've been, I've been super do. busy having a month uh, out of time of writing three weeks out of when uh, this episode is released from getting married uh, to the lovely Mel's and I'm having been said I have some th- uh, some time on my lunch break and I figured eh, why not cover a topic that I've been meaning to for a while choice in gaming now what I'm talking about is it the Stanley Parable style of choice in, uh, where every choice has been predicted and planned for by the programmers ahead of time I'm talking about legitimate playstyle choices on and how developers implement choice in games. As the first example, I'm going to talk about Factorio. And then I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really wanted to give Factorio another shot when it gets its full release myself. Uh, that's me talking, not Kyle. In Factorio, you as a player have the option to build your factory in whatever way you want, sort of. While the game was in uh, its earlier earlier access than it is now, the two main options were belt-based factory versus a bit-based factory. Both options were equally viable. I think think that's supposed to be bought. Yeah, yeah, he has a few typos in here, and I'm trying to predict, but... uh, I wasn't sure where it was going with bit-based factory. Both options were equally viable for the mid to late game. However, as you got as more got added to the game, the developers were able to tweak things. Bots, so it was bots, became harder to implement in a timely fashion. Where before the player could just rush the tech to get bots, now they require uh, so much different science to research. The sunk cost fallacy really discouraged players from uh, building up a science factory with belts. Then tearing it down, only to build it again with bots. In this way, the the devs were able to encourage one style of play over the other. The other game series I wanted to bring up is the Civilization series, specifically four through six. In Civ three, there are options that were that were viable. In Civ four, Beyond the Sword, uh, Wide was uh, favored over Tall. The cities you placed uh, expanded their territory in a slow but predictable way and it was basically a requirement to scoop up as much territory as possible so you would not be hurting for strategic and bonus resources there was also a health system in that game that favored small cities over larger ones in civ 5 brave new world tall was favored as each luxury research would only benefit four cities uh, regardless of population size 
and duplicate re- duplicate resources uh, would not count towards civ happiness over uh, uh, all encouraging expansion war or trade civ 6 seems to be uh, trying to be balanced luxury resources based on population overall and not city numbers the main uh, defining uh, bias towards tall versus wide comes from your choice in civ any thoughts yet um no so far, so good. I bring uh, choice in games up because when a dev team does a choice well, you as a player never notices it. However, when a te- when devs fuck it up, his words, not mine, uh, usually do something spectacularly that ruins games. To wit, my favorite two whipping boys, Yu-Gi-Oh! and The Surge. Uh, the uh, OTP of Horrible? One true pair. I don't. I don't know what OTP is. OTP. I'm an old man. Let's pass. Don't. I don't get these acronyms and these emojis. Uh, what was that? Shaking my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's pass on the surge. Its cardinal sin is the mismatch of player empowerment versus world design. I have ragged on this in the past, uh, but what it boils down to is this. The combat was is meant to be very fast and very combo-focused, while the level design seems to be geared towards slow and methodical way forward, where a pause is needed in between encounters. In this way, you can choose whatever weapons and armor you want, but none of them are a good fit for the obstacles of the game. In this, we have the illusion of choice, where none of them are viable. The only uh, way devs could screw this up is heavily favoring one choice to near exclusion of all others. Enter Yu-Gi-Oh! This game is the setup in such a way where the game economy works to offer a choice, tall versus wide, a lot of little dudes for, or one big dude. This falls apart when the combat in the game is, centered, is considered and the game becomes a game of the biggest number. This is mostly due to the fact that on a turn, monsters uh, in play don't track how much damage uh, they have taken, and no better uh, if you have five monsters with uh, 2,900 attack on the field if your uh, opponent has one monster with 3,000 defense or attack uh, power on the field, you're not going to be able to win with that board uh, state. This is a mismatch of how the game is played on one level versus another level. The economy and combat do not agree and destroys the player choice and how to play the game. I've heard it argued that there are several good decks in the game, but time and time again, it's it's just different flavors of the same strategy and have the biggest number. Was there a point to all this? Eh, not really. Unless you're designing a game, I suppose. There are things that I noticed that due to the fact that I design games from time to time. I haven't published any yet, but I, I am hopeful that someday I will. Uh, and drive up my, uh, drive me up the wall, and I see experience them. Anyway, hope you guys have a wonderful night. Uh, Thanks, Kyle. Uh, well, it's kind of funny. I, this was actually brought up in the latest version of RimWorld. <laughs> uh, RimWorld Beta 19 just released, to, well, today. Or technically yesterday now about 11 minutes uh, where they're trying to balance kill boxes uh, for those who don't know RimWorld and don't want to set through 
three hundred some episodes on my YouTube channel, Gamer with Caffeine Rage, by the way. <laughs> hey, you gave me a shameless plug. I'll give myself one. There you uh, go. There's one main strategy for now. It's called the kill box, where essentially you try to funnel people into this highly defensive area with traps, with uh, uh, gun turrets, and uh, defensive emplacements. Well, this was shaken up by a couple of things. One, they include sappers, which are able to, well, first of all, actively try to avoid kill boxes and try to knock down walls and go through essentially the back door. But also, in the latest update, they've tried to uh, to counterbalance this by, one, making gun turns not a set-and-forget thing. Uh, they require an upkeep. So, if you wish to have the kill box, you have to have an economy behind it, adding more flavors of turrets, so there's not just one type of turret and uh, a variant on it where it has more health and that's it. They added, essentially, a sniper turret, which requires a rare resource, but it hits harder. But uh, he actually highlighted the choice of the matter here, where uh, if you wish to have uh, the old-style kill box, uh, set up all the traps and everything, uh, the traps as well were changed, where they are a one-and-done uh, one thing, where in the current version that I'm currently running, uh, they're able to essentially be reset over and over again. They're more expensive versus the cheaper ones in the new version. But the idea behind all these changes is either to have a defensive setup where you build an economy behind it and your defenses keep your colonists safe versus a less automatic defensive system but you have a bigger risk of you know somebody taking a bullet to the noggin and bye bye uh, I think that's sort of where Kyle is leading with this where uh, you're given viable options and the choices and design of the game reinforces that a cheap setup for traps uh, new types of armor uh, to have a more viable colonist-driven defensive uh, situation versus an upkeep for automatic turrets that requires both maintenance and the economy behind it to maintain them. I think that's where he's going with this, that sort of choice, right? <clears throat> yeah, I think so too. And I mean, I was talking about this earlier with Monster Hunter, just how much choice and variety to the gameplay that there is. Um, and while there are technically like best or you know preferred uh equipment to deal with certain types of monsters like the game never forces you to do something you don't want to um and that i mean that's just one example there's lots of lots of games i can think of that have good choices warframe but also games that have that where outside of the extremely high level stuff uh, most of the weapons in the game, most of the Warframes, which are essentially just player classes, for lack of a better term, are at least on some level viable. Is there min-maxing? Yes. Are there certain guns that are preferred by the community for certain reasons? Either high crit chance, high status chance, or a combination of those have a unique effect, have a particular type of damage? 
uh, mods that uh, do particular things. Yes, all those are there, but it's more of a choice. But it's also possibly more driven by the, uh, a a more player choice factor, where the majority of the game is player versus environment and co-op, where. If you're not min-maxing, if you're taking you know, a gun that you like that is decent enough, sure, you're not going to be top damage, but the community, uh, your group, will carry you if you're in a group. Yeah. I'm trying to think of game examples of like bad player choice or not no uh, false choice, no choice. Me, uh, it gave Ubisoft. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, not Ubisoft. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Sorry, I don't. I never really watched the anime, and I never played the card game. So, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh is kind of odd to me to begin with. I watched a couple of the episodes, but yeah, that's yep. I I enjoy anime, so you know, naturally you watch a few anyway. Uh, but Hearthstone is another bad example of a, a card game where. Uh, it's fallen into the meta, and you know you only have a few viable decks, and everything else is just the illusion of choice. And there's certain cards that are just I-win situations. Yeah, Hearthstone is definitely a good example. Pretty much any bad card game, any poorly balanced CCG. Unfortunately, that seems to be the majority of them. Yeah. Um. Maybe I don't play very many games and have four examples of choice. Or we just don't notice them. Or yeah, or we're just not noticing them. Maybe because they're not bad enough to be noticed. Or we're not game designers. Um, I'm an aspiring critic, but uh, usually I'm more focused on gameplay over player choice. I'm actually going to my Steam library, going to my most played games. I would say actually a good example of this would be Team Fortress 2 to some extent where yes there are hard counters but the subclass system that they've developed over the years with different char- uh, character loadouts uh, not really negates but gives secondary options uh, a good example of this would be the Demo Knight versus the Demo Man for those who've never played Team Fortress 2, Demo Man is a black Scottish Cyclops who, uh, much like Kyle, loves the drink, but his major weakness is up-close combat. He has a grenade launcher and he has a sticky bomb launcher. Sticky bomb launcher is uh, typically either used offensively to detonate in the air, essentially in someone's face, yeah, like you do, or to set up traps and to lure people in. And the grenade launcher is able to, well, both of his primary weapons are able to deal self-damage. But his grenade launcher uh, is essentially uh, aerial denial as well. And he's very weak up close. He has no real direct damage uh, uh, that's a uh, hit scan. Well, the demo knight forgoes the sticky bomb launcher so he loses the ability to set down on traps and he uh, has a shield that increases his damage resistance and typically he has uh, one of his sword melee weapons which increases both his melee range 
but also his AI damage, and depending on the sword, could also give him more health if he uh, has the, the uh, particularly the Islander. And yes, I did say Islander. As he decapitates people, he gains extra health until he dies. So it increases his tankiness to a point. He still has the grenade launcher for indir- or for indirect fire and for uh, ranged encounters, but it greatly increases his melee capabilities. So I think that's a, a somewhat decent example of a multiplayer game that has uh, the uh, doesn't have the illusion of choice. It has a actual choice system. Granted, certain maps, uh, the demo night is going to be a lot less viable. But it's also a multiplayer game, so you know there are going to be stupid people out there to begin with. Yeah, I think uh, one example I have actually was uh, was BattleTech at release. As much as I love that game, the initial like one of the biggest complaints I had was that the farther you go in the game, you're driven down this path that you have to get bigger and bigger and bigger mechs. Yep. And for the story missions, that's fine, but the whole rest of the game becomes that. Anything smaller than, say, 70 tons becomes useless. Um, and while they ha- they've they addressed that in the game, I, I mean, that was the first mod that I looked for, was a way to um, change the way that the game calculated or the variance with which it gave you difficulty of missions so that other mechs that you had could be viable because there's a lot of stuff that I like that's smaller well, and a not lot of just strategies that, that you but can... they had uh, the thing where uh, the evasion system as you got shot at you lost evasion points but that was really how the, how the smaller mechs were able to survive was they build up evasion pips to make them uh, harder to hit um, yeah and some of the mods uh, made it so that like uh, light and medium mechs didn't uh, lose pips or you know, the evasion system uh, didn't lose them when being fired at. And it uh, required the secondary, or, or a secondary skill to counter that. But it wasn't in the base game. Yeah, it is now. Um, the, you know, they've t- taken on a lot of player feedback and those first couple of mods aren't really needed anymore due to how much you can vary up that stuff within the gameplay itself. I mean, I guess if you want to take it to the extreme, you still need to mod the files. Well, they but... also uh, changed it where uh, originally the main way to capture a mech without you know, getting a lucky headshot was uh, shake it to death. Yeah. And it was uh, <clears throat> not they, viable you know... any other way, really. Yeah. Just blow it up a bunch of times across a bunch of missions. Just forget that stuff. No, but they've they've changed up a lot of that to, you know, fix those balancing issues and increase player choice. But initially, yeah, it railroaded you down a uh, a specific path, just playing it naturally. And the farther you played the game, the less choice you had. All right, I'll, I have a game that game, is a, a good example of both. Our current game club, okay. Fallout New Vegas. The base game okay. offers a lot of player choice, not just in the story, uh, choosing what path you want to take, but often uh, the quests are able to be addressed in multiple ways, depending on both your character loadout, your gear, and just what you feel like. Uh, go for a more stealth approach, go in guns blazing. Uh, it was all 
pretty much viable. There were certain situations where it really favored one over the other, but for the most part, I would say that it was fairly balanced. But uh, Dead Money, the DLC that I've played through already, it forces you in a very particular gameplay style to the point where if you go in with a character that is not built a particular way, you are going to suffer severely, at least in the very beginning. (laughs) I, I don't want to give away too much because Jared hasn't played through it yet. But it's a good example of actually both. Yeah. You'll you'll see what I mean next week. Trust me. I have words about dead money. <laughs> Can't wait. Alrighty. Yeah, I'm just scrolling um, through my list. Uh, City Skylines actually has the illusion of choice because of how the traffic AI is. You know, if you don't build a very particular way, uh, the AI is just completely broken. Uh, definitely on uh, highways. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on any others. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but I just am struggling to think of any that... I tend to play a lot of games that have... that are completely open. So... You know, that have multiple ways to accomplish things in general. Just give a lot of player freedom and choice. And the ones that I play, I think, do it well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through. Uh, let's see if there's any other really egregious ones. But I'm not. Uh, granted, I could scroll for a while. <laughs> Indeed, you scroll. could. Scroll. But. Scroll. Hey, here's one loadout. Mostly because the game's dead. You have no choice. <coughs> or does, that, does that not count? Yeah, so, sort of. Actually, loadout would have been a really good uh, uh, example of uh, illusion of choice because the game was poorly balanced. Uh, for those who never played it, uh, loadout was a third-person uh, team-based shooter. Uh, but the big hook on it was that the all the guns were completely customizable uh, and slowly unlocked. So as you build up your character level, you unlocked more and more guns and you're able to swap them in and out uh, to make custom guns. Sounds like a great opportunity for player choice, but they misbalanced the game. So there was only really a couple really viable options and most of them were high level stuff. So once you got to a certain point on the character development, players started using a very particular build around beam weaponry, if I recall correctly. And if you weren't using that and you had it unlocked, you were uh, essentially gimping yourself. Because if I recall correctly, the beam had a soft lock-on mechanic to it. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty typical for beam weapons in general. Uh, uh, Think of it sort of uh, going back to Ghostbusters. A Ghostbusters uh, like a, a, a beam where it would lock on. And the game had a lot of movement on it. So you can see where we're going with this already, huh? So I think that's a good example of a illusion of choice on my part, where you were, it's the Yu-Gi-Oh! example, where you're really being gimped if you're not building to the meta. So I think that's all for that. Uh, we did have, 
one tweet that I missed last week that I wanted to at least highlight because I promised I would. Uh, it was, hang on, I'm just scroll down, scroll down. It was from Be Cool. He uh, linked uh, a One Angry Gamer video, or not video, but uh, article talking about Doom morally challenged comment has SJWs calling it gross and anti-immigration. Right. <laughs> oh. Do you want to take this one? I'm um, still trying to figure out how it's anti-immigration. I mean, I, this was... Yeah, I don't know how it's anti-immigration. I, I... I read the article. I watched the the trailer or whatever. And I don't get how it's anti-immigration. They're demons from hell. I mean, I don't want them immigrating here. Maybe that's why it's anti-immigration. We don't want people... Don't want demons from hell moving to Earth. Welcome to Earth. Motherfucker. <laughs> but, uh... But yeah, this is just... Uh, it's a joke uh, against the uh, the easily offended and the easily offended was offended. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, took the bait, question mark? I don't know. They did their thing and they were easily offended and it it's just dumb. It's a thing that's dumb. Yeah, the comment honestly. was, uh, don't call them demons, call them morally challenged. And it was a hologram in this just ruined area completely uh, overtaken by the demons and people flipped the fuck out so, sometimes I think yeah, the internet is, is both a wonderful and terrible thing to be unleashed on humanity you know that? yeah at the same time yeah it's got its good points it's got its its bad points I thought the mortally challenged thing yeah, I thought was it was cute. a funny joke I, I was expecting yeah, it to it's be a, uh, it's a funny really joke. cringy but you know I'm uh, watch the uh, it was the QuakeCon reveal. It was even the one that they linked. I don't think. Yeah, it wasn't the twenty five minute reveal. I saw a. Well, it was QuakeCon, but uh, what I saw was essentially a stripped down version of it that uh, just had the gameplay segments and a little bit of the uh, developer talk in between. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just maybe I just don't get it. Maybe I'm part of the problem. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think these these people are part of the problem. Yeah, but the problem uh, the problem They're... is that game developers see the outcry and will change their game b- based on it. Because these people are never going to buy the game. They're not going to play Doom. No, I think that's a fa- I think that's a fair assessment, don't you? Yeah, they're probably not going to pay play Doom. And there's a there's a fine line to walk between saying that someone shouldn't be offended at something versus saying, "Well, this doesn't offend me because I have a different point of view than you." But I don't I think that this is on the line of like or on the side of the line of like, "Why are people offended by this?" Like they're just being too overly sensitive. Playing this a is part a into this, what, by the way. I want, I want to highlight that. They're playing they're playing into a part of culture that, you know, I've heard referred to as like outrage culture. Um they're the people that give genuine social justice warriors like have that have turned them into the meme of SJ you know, SJWs, mm. you know, those people. And for the most part, like, if something offends you, 
don't don't do it. Don't participate in it. Don't engage in it. Well, because most things are sort of in the middle middle area where it's like, well, you know, this is doesn't agree with my sensibilities, but this is certainly not something that I feel like I should try and take it away from you or well, yours. Here's the thing. Or I'm gonna whatever. Uh, I'm gonna paraphrase an Anita Sarkeesian quote. Uh, she was talking about when she discovered feminism, you know, the third wave feminism. And she discovered yeah. that everything is sexist, everything is racist, and she had to point them all out. And she essentially alienated herself from her friends. But she didn't take that as a lesson. Yeah. She took that as what she should do with the rest of her life. Yeah. I mean, there is some truth to that statement. From the right point of view, or the wrong point of view, depending on how you want to look at it, yeah, most things are going to be sexist or racist or offensive in some way, but lots of things really have to be stretched to the extreme to actually be that. Because we just, you know, we're all humans living in, in the world together, and, you know, we have this idea of what normal is, you know. It varies by from culture to culture, but generally, you know, we have an idea of what normal is, and you can still get decently far away from the normal and not be glorifying something that we should take a look at. Like, I don't think that if something is, like, encouraging people to go rape other people or specifically trying to convince people to go murder other people, like, yeah, that's something that we should definitely take a look at. But, you know, making a silly joke poking fun at someone who gets a little worked up about something is that potentially a little distasteful maybe but is it something that deserves like people getting up in arms about it because it's the end of the world no it's not people have to like i said earlier much earlier in the show people have to own or take responsibility for their actions and their thoughts and how they're going to respond to things and overreacting to everything or to things that if you spoke to the general public about would most likely say, yeah, it's not worth like getting that worked up for it. Like if it bothers you, that's fine, but don't engage with it or whatever. Like getting worked up to everything that falls into that category does no one any good. It just does disservice to everyone because it minimizes real issues and you open yourself up or these people open themselves up basically to just more ridicule because they look ridiculous to air quotes, normal people. So yeah, straight, straight from a therapist. Don't, don't be, don't be crazy and uh, own your shit. Uh, but unfortunately they take if the you're not sure, Simpson approach. Uh, call me a killjoy, but <laughs> because I don't like this, I don't think anybody should watch it. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. If you're not sure, if you think something's on the line, talk to some people about it. Talk to talk to people hey, you trust. If you trust. start seeing our roles, intelligent people, uh, that's a bad sign. Yeah, definitely, definitely is. That's a pretty good. And usually, whatever involves the patriarchy as well. <laughs> God, we need another podcast to discuss privilege. To discuss white privilege. Male privilege, female privilege. There's lots of different privileges that exist, but it's a lot more complicated than just white males suck and everyone else uh, but you, has been but you suffering can't be racist for, for saying forever. white males suck. Yeah, 
and the group of people that think that Idiots. are pretty racist themselves. And and yeah, oversimplifying a complex topic at best <laughs> and yeah idiots at worst but don't don't send me down that road again that's bringing up flashbacks Uh-oh. of that stupid twitter argument from what was it three weeks ago or something uh, something like that i don't know i don't know do, do you want to be real dumb. do a discovery cube before we dive into your twitter uh what time no, we've been going for over three hours at this point, and it is almost one o'clock, which is my Pumpkin time, my bedtime. Yeah, so not this week, but we had a really good one last week. Just go back and check that one out again. But since we're not doing that, we'll get to the. Well, no, you need to give the Twitter. And yeah, you're email uh, actually giving me a chance to do that. <laughs> well, I usually do. I usually do. Uh, the uh, Twitter yeah, do the, is do the thing. VGL Podcast on the Twitter, and our email is vglpodcast at gmail.com. So part of the podcast where you go first. Also, indeed, uh, if you want to head over to my YouTube channel, you can search for Gaming Psychologist on the YouTubes. We have got, or I have got, uh, the podcast and our Spin Tires Mudrunner series the let's see the next one or i guess the last one will have been part one of a map because you know when this comes out it'll be friday and it's crossing i believe part one which releases on wednesday and crossing part two will be on saturday yeah and crossing part Uh, three (laughs) yeah we haven't had any part threes yet but we're definitely going to whenever we sit down to record road trip again but anyways, those are on Wednesday and Friday. If you want to follow me, or Wednesday and Saturday, the podcast is on Friday. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so by following me at JMA4707, where I tweet about all kinds of things. Something that I never mention is that people are welcome to DM me on Twitter if they'd like. Oh, you're into that um, as well? I mean, there's many, yeah, there's many methods of communication with which you can interact with me, but if for some reason you want to do that on Twitter. You're more than welcome to do that there as well. Uh, if you want to see stuff on Twitch, uh, stuff that occasionally gets posted up using the Twitch Premiere system, or most likely one of our community members who streams, Kyle's been streaming a lot here lately, uh, you can see him. If you don't, for some reason, want to go to his channel, you can watch it over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. I rebroadcast all... I think all of the community Twitch streamers um, and you, you can see his stuff there or you can just use that as a gateway to find his uh, Twitch channel. Also, if you want to be friends with me on Steam, my username is JoeArthur4707. I have lovely conversations with lovely people and hey, one of our community members, which I don't, did I ever say her no. name? It's Amy, not not Amy K from the Kerbalcast days, a different Amy. Uh, Are we gonna have to get uh, name tags and start uh, numbering them? Okay, okay. Amy yeah, K is Amy one. Uh, Amy from your old therapist but, uh, 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 job is uh, Amy two. Yeah, well, this would be Amy three. So, she's just a, a Steam or a podcast listener who friended me on Steam a couple of weeks ago when we've had it. We've had a couple of chats. I'm glad that we have some female community members. I mean, I knew we had. Uh, at least two 
So now we have at least three. And that's good. I like to have diversity in the audience. But anyway, send me a friend request on Steam, and I will accept it and chat with you. Uh, did you give your Steam ch- uh, name? Okay. I did. I said that first. I can give it again. JR34707. If you wish to let me know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Rutabaga. Rutabaga. I, I, I'm going to do something. Uh, Rutabaga? Yeah, Rutabaga. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But do you think uh, I don't really do you like... think I just have uh, 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 sensible names or sensible words on here? Well, lots of times you pick a word that relates to something that's happened in the show. Yeah, but I don't have to always. Besides, we had Fair stupid play. last week, so. We did. I, 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 but yeah, I, I didn't want to. Uh, get in a theme. Besides, I have next week's already set up. Nice. Well, you do you, boo. Oh, uh, well, if you wish you to catch you. my content, I'm over at Gaming with Caffeine Rage, still on the YouTubes. Uh, I currently have two series going. Uh, well, full-time, I should say. I have uh, Spin Tires Bud Runner from my perspective, which sometimes is less interesting, sometimes more, <laughs> depending on the map. Indeed. <laughs> Depends on who's crashing the most at that time. <laughs> and I also have, I think I just posted episode 62 of my latest RimWorld series. Uh, it's a heavily modded series, so it's not base game. I do the Sunday sampler occasionally, depending on just what I get. I may have to borrow an idea from you and just do Steam Roulette on weeks that I have nothing to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think Steam Roulette would be very interesting for me because I have a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that just in numbers. I mean, I have a lot of just very, very bad games. Oh, I have some real stinkers on there. Oh. Uh, but let's see. I am going to plug my Twitch. I didn't get to do it last week because I just... Uh, I was fighting with uh, Fallout and I was already in a bad mood. <laughs> So I'm caffeine rage, caffeine underscore rage on the Twitch. I'm planning on doing the oxygen not included, but we'll have to see because you know, I could do other things. I have choices. We'll have to see what's popular or, you know, if there's actually people that watch, <laughs> <laughs> which would actually be a new thing for me. Or you can just see me tweet about who knows what on uh, who knows when over at Gaming with CR on the Twitter. And since we uh, did that, uh, once again, I'll plug the VGL podcast, VGL podcast at gmail.com or VGL podcast on the Twitter. You can send us letters, voicemails, gaming related topics, questions, or just tweet us articles and we'll uh, discuss them at, at least some length. Depending on the length and the just how late we've gone, it really depends. Our Patreon, patreon.com slash VGL Podcast has paid for our Podbean account, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the RSS feed, our show notes, but you can also catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most other pod uh, aggregators. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and do, well, we're going to skip Doobly Doo, but we'll give it credit anyway. 
by the same artist, Kevin McLeod. His work can be found at incomputech.com and... <clears throat> oh, excuse me. As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my throat-clearing noise. Bye-bye. Uh, see ya.